Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to Action Radio. This is Greg Penglis coming to you from the historic district of downtown Milton on the banks of the beautiful Blackwater River. And now let's get into Action Radio. I just noticed that I have one clock and one microwave to advance a minute. <laughs> They're a little bit late. I was like, I'm just a, just a touch ahead. Um, that's the minor stuff. Ah, my chair is actually adjusted properly today. That's that's the major stuff. But I've been doing a lot of thinking lately, and the, I've been reevaluating where we're going with the show here. Uh, it was fabulous having uh, Ed Dowd on last week. Uh, you know, I was a, uh, I think I was getting a little flustered because I had so much information that I think I might have overprepared a bit. But it actually turned out okay, so that's the good news. Um, the other good news is you don't see me actually doing the videos because I'm or the, the the interviews because a lot of times I'm racing through information, listening, you know, multitasking, doing much of things at once. Uh, but it's uh, it was just incredible because he had so much information to offer. However, at this point. I think that I've I've gotten most of the major guests that I want to uh, have on the show, and it's I'll tell you it's been incredible. It's Judy Mikovits. Dr. Judy Mikovits has been on a few times. She was on with Ed. She was on uh, during a, what is turning out to be a really big show. Was when we did the two year anniversary of our uh, vaccine product liability bill, and what we're celebrating, what we're not celebrating, is the fact that it hasn't passed, hasn't even gotten in the news yet in a major way, hasn't been shared, hasn't uh, who knows. And yet this is the solution to, to almost everything everybody's complaining about. And so I got to thinking about that, you know, and I was thinking two years, why isn't this bill national news on a weekly basis? Why, why aren't people sharing this by the millions? What is going on here? Because everybody wants to, you know, everybody that, that has, has lost a person or has, uh, you know, had a, a lost a job, you know, or, or any number of things or had a business, you know, closed or, you know, or, or was forced to wear a mask and had other problems. I mean, everything that's happened really comes down to one thing, the fact that the vaccine manufacturers are not liable for the products. Because as Ed Dowd confirmed, uh, and as I had thought for a long time, that if uh, we got product liability uh, on these products, that uh, they'd be off the shelves in seconds, that the liability would be so great and the billions and billions of lawsuits would be so great that, that all these big farmers companies would be out of business. And he said, yeah, basically, yeah. You know, so in a free market, we would not have vaccines. Oh, my God, Greg, what would we do without vaccines? What are we going to do? Well, we'll do what, uh, what we've always done. We'll treat the disease if people get it. You know, and that's a big if because most of the diseases that people are getting these so-called vaccines for uh, haven't existed for 100 years. Or, or in small pockets or they're being brought in by illegal aliens like measles. Remember when the measles was being brought in? We didn't have measles in this country. Well, why would you, why would you give people, you know, um, a disease in the form of a vaccine for a disease that they're not going to get because it isn't here. I don't, just, I just find that fascinating. And even if they do get it, we've got treatments. So, you know, it, it's funny that they're trying to, this, this mass prevention, they're trying to prevent everything. Whereas your immune system is also designed to do that. And when your immune system fails and you actually catch a disease of some kind, then uh, in most cases we can treat it up until whatever ultimately gets you anyway. And something always does, you know, because that, that's how it works. And, and so this is fascinating to me that um, this, this, they're trying to eliminate fear. So it, it's like transgender where they try to actually uh, change somebody's sex through uh, surgery and drugs. It can't be done. And yet people are convinced that it can, and that is a mental illness. Um, you know, so you're trying to achieve something impossible and you're trying to give, you know, like civil rights to a group of people that are not what they say they are 
uh, and never will be. <laughs> and yet they're, they're willing to kill other people who disagree with their impossibly insane you know, idea that they can change the sex. And, and, and we're the ones with the problem? No, they are. You know, but uh, do something about that you know, and leave me alone. Um, but this idea that um, the, the, the whole idea of a vaccine, I'm coming to, coming to reevaluate that because why do we have them? You know, did the, did the polio vaccine cure polio? No, it didn't. Sewers, chlorine in the swimming pools, better sanitation. That's what polio is a, is a fecal bacteria like E. coli. Well, what's fecal? Well, it's poop. <laughs> if you get rid of that poop. You know, you're not going to be exposed to polio. Simple stuff. And that goes for most of the waterborne diseases, airborne diseases. You just have to, uh, you know, filter them out. But the thing is, and the thing I want to get to, I'm going to piano and I'll get to it in, in just a, a little bit here because I really want to make this very, very clear. And then we can, uh, then we can talk about it. Um, that nothing's going to change, folks, unless you change the laws. And the reason I've been thinking about this uh, is because of what's going on Friday. There's a rally. I'll be at the rally. Um, I'll be speaking at it. I'm the one who doesn't have the picture on the poster for some reason. I don't know why. It's always <laughs> a lot of this stuff seems to happen. Anyway, Medical free, Freedom uh, and Save Our Country event is going to be uh, April 14th. That is this Friday between 6 and 9 p.m. at the Blue Wahoo Stadium, and that is in Pensacola, Florida. Uh, if you want more information, you go to Florida Freedom Fighters. I think they have a website. I actually heard an ad for this yesterday when I'm uh, driving around. It was kind of cool. Uh, but uh, you got who we got here that I recognize, uh, Dr. Teresa Long, I know her, uh, Colonel David Trombley is a friend of mine, uh, so is uh, Dr. Angela Ferrella, person putting it on, uh, Deborah Viglione, and our own uh, Diane Warner, who does uh, um, the Election Integrity and Medical Freedom Report, Brian Artis is a friend of mine, he's coming, uh, Chris Jersey has been on the show, Ben Marble is a friend, he's been on the show, uh, we got some other folks, Joe Ottman, don't know who he is yet, we'll find out some other people, but it's going to be very interesting to have these folks come here. But here's the problem. Uh, oh, we got uh, David Clements, too. So it's going to be an interesting group of people uh, at this rally. But here's the problem. The problem is I've done three of these already. The problem is that I'm going to do exactly what I did before, and I'm going to tell people where the bill is to be shared. And the problem is they're not going to share it. And these are the most active people in our area here. So if the activists won't share the bill, we even got a prayer of people that don't know about it sharing it yet. It's not going to go viral. And so this is uh, what's going on now that is so scary is this huge apathy among, uh, among the population. See, you've got to understand that the, in, in Nazi Germany, the, the Nazis were about 2% of the population, but they were organized and they took over. You have to understand that the idiocracy that runs our country right now, the illegal government in charge in Washington, uh, are a bunch of complete and total morons who are you know, covering for some very smart people in the background. But there aren't that many of them. Okay, but they're organized and they have the military and the police and the National Guards and the governors and everybody else who's, you know, kowtowing and thinking that they have to be obeyed when they don't because they're not a legitimate government. But right now we've got a situation where the simple way out of the very simple way out of our current situation with COVID has always been vaccine product liability. It's just that simple. If you can get the law changed on that, and, and then big tech censorship and the other things, but all it's going to take to, to shut down big pharma is to shut down vaccine product liability or, get, or put vaccine product liability back on big pharma. That's basically it. Uh, I got more on this, but I want to get Pianchi in the conversation just in case he's going to tell me that I'm not broadcasting. Good morning, Pianchi. Am I broadcasting? 
Yeah, you broadcasting. Oh, good. Congratulations. Oh, thank you. What you did broadcast. I do? Congratulations. Okay. Well, you're never sure because I don't have levels yet. You know, I've been trying ever since I started this show, you know, five years ago to get digital levels so that I know when I'm broadcasting. And Blog Talk, you know, despite the fact they do a lot of things really well, this one they haven't done yet. <laughs> so they have not fixed uh, my broadcast screen so that I have levels. Anyway, I haven't talked to you for a while, so I hope you had a well, good week last week. What's going on? Well, you know, your issue, you know, the state of Louisiana, uh-huh. uh, House of Representatives, is uh, have House Bill 421, which uh, provide exceptions from immunization for children and adults in their workplaces and school places. So that there is going to be a state law. That's good. It, yep. Uh, just like they are applying laws against gender reassignment procedure or any alternate of a child's biological sexual identity. Mm-hmm. And uh, that the HB 466 is going to make sure that a person uh, be referred to by their biological birth up until they, you know, until they grown, so until they out of school. So there's about four or five more, but uh, those there are pretty damn good. Yeah, no, that's wonderful. That's great news. I love it when things go well. You know, for all the bills that are out there doing the right thing, it's, it's you know, one less bill that we have to write. <laughs> that's, that's great. So uh, hopefully more and more of this will happen. There's some good bills in Florida. There's some other things happening, too. You've got an interesting bill in Missouri right now. Uh, and this is an issue that I'm starting to learn more and more about. And that is the fact that our food supply, um, because, you know, people have rejected the, uh, the non-vaccine GMO shot, um, they're not getting boosters at anywhere near the levels that people got the first couple of shots because everybody realized, you know, fairly quickly that the quickest way to get COVID is to get a so-called COVID vaccine, that the, um, the, 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 the variants were being created by those that got the vaccine because it's not a vaccine. It's basically a spreader of COVID. It's a self-marketing uh, device where the more you get of it, the more you need because the more damage it causes of the very thing is it's supposed to protect supposed to boost your immune system, but it doesn't. It actually reduces it. So, uh, so we've got this huge problem here. But now, because it's not happening the way they want, we're, we're not getting all these fibrous, horrible things in our system um, that the, the, uh, those that have received the, the COVID jab are getting. They're actually engineering food uh, and meat, so that uh, vegetables and meat, so that the, the same genetic altering material is actually in our food. Now, I'm not sure exactly how this is going to work, because food you know, yeah, it's an ingested thing, but uh, does it survive your digestive juices? I mean, what's going to happen here? How is this going to – it's one thing to get in your, your system by food. It's another thing to actually be injected into your bloodstream. So I'm curious about that. But just the fact that they're doing this, now there's a bill in Missouri about this. Um, so I can pull out here. Tom Renz is the lead attorney on this right now. He's the one who's working on it. But again, the apathy, what's going to kill this country is, is people, good people doing nothing. That's my biggest fear. Well, you got you absolutely right. Uh-huh. Yeah, you're right. Good people doing nothing. Uh, mm-hmm. They also proposed a, another one. Let me read you here. SB seven. All uh-huh. sexual material should be banned for minors. Another thing. They also SB six three is on the church's fundamental rights. You remember how sheriffs would go into church congregations on Sunday and break it up during uh-huh. the pandemic? You can't do that no more. Churches have a fundamental right. 
parents. Well, they always did with the First right Amendment with HB you know, one fifty two. See, the county sheriff should have been arresting the people that were, you know, trying to do that. You know, there was a, I just saw a Tucker Carlson special they had, or his news program Friday. They had this 82-year-old barber in Washington that the state tried to close down because you can't stay open, you, you know, unless you're a, a major contributing business like Walmart, you know, to the, to the governor. So they tried to close down this barber. Uh, and I'm like, where's the county sheriff arresting, you know, the state officials for trying to close down somebody for engaging in lawful commerce? You know, these people are convinced that the Constitution doesn't apply when they say it doesn't apply, even though it always applies. So, yeah. So, it's, uh, I mean, these bills, you know, there's where the county sheriffs aren't doing their job. Oh, speaking of county sheriffs, remember the guy we had on last week, Tyler Miller? Yeah. I never did hear back from him. He never thanked me. No, he won't be <laughs> back for a while. Yeah. Was it something I said? Yeah, it's <laughs> For those that missed it. Um, I invited uh, a candidate, which I do. I invite candidates on the show all the time, but and I always tell them to listen to the show so that you know they know what they're getting into. I don't you know hide stuff and and but I, I you know I don't ask I think ambush questions. I'm not trying to trick anybody. Uh, the basic questions are usually tough enough for most people, especially running for office, because uh, they're used to getting complex things and giving BS answers, and that that really doesn't go too far here. So I asked Don Tyler Miller. He's running for county sheriff against uh, Chip Simmons, who I do happen to know uh, and has been on the show. And, and this is uh, Escambia County Sheriff. In, now, Escambia County is the upper left county in Florida. It's the closest one to Alabama uh, if you're heading west. And so uh, he came up and, you know, he was on for an hour. At least he stayed for the hour. I mean, that was pretty good. But when it came to answers, uh, it was like reverting back to the program. You know, and, and once I got them, you know, because I like to get people off their program, off their canned speech, off their, their stock answers uh, to really find out what they want to do. And I did. He wants to take cases to the Supreme Court. Well, I said, well, why don't you be a lawyer or a district attorney or, a, you know, a U.S. attorney or, or something like that? No, he wanted to be county sheriff. So uh, he's got some good ideas. He's just going for the wrong job. That's how I saw it. But, uh, yeah, it was uh, I think it was a little challenging for him. And, Sir. you know. Another uh-huh. couple in here I was going to make sure, like I said, he also, Bible history would be an awful course in your elementary schools. And uh, Louisiana would not be mandated by foreign organizations like the WHO uh, and uh, the other one pertaining to health. And also, they're against gender reassignment procedures and any already read that one. So they're on the yeah, right path. Need- yeah, like we said, remember we were talking about this two years ago, the states have to lead the way, and now they are leading the way. Things have gotten so bad that the people are, are – because I'm not going to get any results from the federal government, but it's gotten so bad that uh, people are, are getting their states to, to fix things. Now, Florida's done some good stuff. Florida's fixed some things, but uh, a lot of things we haven't fixed. They passed a, um, a, a – I think it's – yeah, it's already been signed into law – a permitless carry bill. So as of July 1st, we don't need our concealed carry permits. But that was never a big deal because they had to give them to us anyway if we met the basic criteria, which was, you know, honest law-abiding citizen, you got your carry permit. So that, you know, yeah, it was unconstitutional, but it was easy to get. But so you take away the permit. But what they didn't do that they should have done was include open carry in that provision. And so here's what's going to happen. Next year, all the open carry folks, Florida Carry, which is dedicated to open carry. We used to have Jim Dykes, a director of Florida Carry. Their, their whole thing is to get open carry in Florida so that we have the option to carry our firearms and so that people won't panic if somebody sees that they have a gun on them, you know, because you have an open carry provision. So, so concealed 
really just becomes convenience uh, or choice. It doesn't become a legal mandate like it is now. Uh, but that wasn't in the bill. So next year, we're going to come up and say, okay, now that you've given the you know, permitless carry, which you had to do anyway by the Constitution, now we want open carry. And they'll say, well, we gave you constitutional carry last year. What's your problem? So I know it's going to happen. I can already see this coming. So we'll see what that fight brings. Well, you have to do something to counter these uh, mom's demand groups like this concentrated on Tennessee now mm-hmm. because uh, – and you see – you have to get uh, groups like the the Eagle Scouts uh, who have a merit badge for marksmanship, Boy Scouts. You have to get women's uh, gun groups involved in these uh, counter-protests of mm-hmm. what we're seeing going on, especially well, over this incident in uh, Tennessee. If you don't, they're going to eat your lunch. Well, let's talk about protests for a minute because, like I said, we've got a big uh, medical freedom rally that's coming up uh, uh, here in Pensacola. Um, those two that were disruptive, the ones that were, I'm not sure exactly the issue. I guess they were trying to push, you know, mandatory sex changes on children, uh, which you can't do. I mean, you, you can't change somebody's sex, but these, um, you know, these uh, chemical and surgical mutilations, um, it's insane what's going on. And, and to protest for that. Yeah. I'm glad they got thrown out of the chamber. Um, so that's a good thing, but protests in general, I don't think do a whole lot. You know, be, you've got to change. You know, if it changes the law, if a protest is that much effect, then it's a good thing. But here's my problem. It, it protests to me like a feel-good thing, um, but don't actually accomplish anything. You know, it's like watching a great movie. Oh, the great movie, especially if it's a, like a totally made-up story. A documentary on somebody real, that's different. Then you, you watch a great story with a great speech, and yeah, you feel great. Has anything been accomplished? No. <laughs> you know, yeah. So look at the, yeah, I, guess I have to disagree with you on that. Okay, because the young people within these protests, it's like we see this going on now. Uh, they are misled, but they do go to the poll. Okay, I see what you're saying. Yeah, in that respect, yeah, that makes that makes a lot of sense. I'm just thinking of the protest itself. Um, but the biggest problem, the problem with that is edu- is is a government indoctrination. So the solution to most of our problems is to get rid of the government schools. Now that I would protest, <laughs> you know, that are, that that fighting for um, because as long as the government schools are allowed to, to turn out communists that we have to convert back into Americans uh, we're always going to be at a loss because you're never going to get everybody in fact you're not even going to get half you're going to get some who are probably predisposed to that anyway and the ones that uh, aren't predisposed aren't even going to the government schools they're homeschooled or they're in private schools or they're rich because <laughs> they don't go well, to What's needed is choice where parents can make a choice on what school oh, they want. Best just like this bill here in Louisiana, giving parents the fundamental right uh-huh. over their children to make those choices. You know, here's the question, though. When so many of these things are already in the Constitution and aren't followed, um, it's like we're making every time some government program comes up to violate our, our rights, somebody makes a, a, a bill specifically for that particular violation of our rights, rather than just taking that to court to cover all the other violations of our rights that they're going to do. So look, you can't do that. You know, you cannot take minors, uh, take away their body parts, alter them chemically with drugs and, and call that uh, affirming healthcare. <laughs> you're not affirming anything. You're mutilating and you're, you're chemically destroying. So let's call it what it is. 
but we need to have basic rights anyway over our mind and body autonomy. And we already have those. Well, you, know, it, you, got, uh, you know, we got Fourth Amendment seizure of your person. That includes masks, lockdowns, well, yeah. sex changes, everything. Yeah, but these kids, like in Tennessee, don't know that they were miseducated. They don't understand the Constitution. They don't understand uh, those mm-hmm. fundamental rights. They just act in hyper. You got news uh, media sources having them being interviewed. And basically saying what they want them to say, mm-hmm. uh, talking against the Second Amendment, uh, wanting some sort of gun re- reform, but they don't know what gun reform they want. <laughs> well, they, so, they don't know that they, they, they don't know that guns aren't the problem. You know, it, it, well, it's they've cruel. been taught to think that guns. They've been, I guess, they've been taught to think that gun reform will handle the problem. Where when you got these six individuals. It's, uh-huh. They don't understand it. They don't understand it. No, I think you're right. So maybe I'm not sure. you see, maybe maybe they need to hear some younger uh, members of the population telling them, "Look, you're wrong, and you should know better." I'm younger than you and know what the cause is. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's just, uh, I mean, it comes down to, to money and access and everything else. You know, where are the popular young conservatives, you know, going around making speeches? Where, you know, see, the left is very good at propaganda and very good at getting their message out. And, and conservatives, patriots, and everybody else, they're just waiting for Donald Trump to say it all. It's not going to work that way. Um, so it, there's, there's a lot of stuff that needs to be done. My particular angle, like I've said before, is that if we don't change the laws, nothing's going to happen. Uh, so there's just a ton of stuff, you know, that needs to be done as far as that goes. I want to get this law you have in Missouri here, too. Uh, where is it? I had it up here a second ago. Let me just move some stuff around here. But um, your food supply. So Tom Renz is a lawyer. Uh, he was at the panel with uh, uh, Senator Johnson last time on COVID. And he had this thing here. I don't know when he wrote it exactly. This is breaking news. The lobbyists for the cattlemen and pork associations in several states have confirmed they will be using messenger RNA vaccines in pigs and cows this month. So this is happening now. This is, we must support Missouri Bill HB 1169. It is literally the only chance we have to prevent this. No one knows the impacts of doing this, but we are potentially facing the risk of being a, quote, died suddenly, or hashtag died suddenly if we don't stop this. This is Missouri House Bill 1169 informed consent. And so what I'm guessing, because it says informed consent, is that people are going to know which foods are GMO vaccinated and which ones aren't. See, and that's the big problem. I had a video. A friend of mine sent me a video. Actually, Tina, who's been on the show, sent me a video, sent everybody a video, actually, um, talking about these, uh, these GMO foods coming out of Europe, uh, of course, <laughs> you know, that, are all, uh, that they have genes infused within them because people aren't you know, taking the vaccine anymore, the, the non-vaccine. Uh, and so they, they want to get the blood clots in everybody's system to wipe, every, you know, wipe out a huge percentage of the population. And because people aren't going for, for the jab anymore, they want to put it in the food supply. And so the only way that we know it's in there is if we have true and correct labeling. Or you just go to the farmer's markets, you know, and know where, the, know where your food's coming from. And that's what we're getting to anyway. You know, I buy eggs from a friend who raises his own chickens. Uh, I've got, um, you know, probably the, one of the better food sources, wild-caught fish. Because, you know, the wild-caught fish has not been GMO-infused, you know, from birth. Yeah, Farm fish, know, I don't know about. You know, so, so we have to be much more careful. Level, just uh-huh. 
you know, on a practical level, that's, and I like farmers markets too, but on a practical level, you never get thousands and thousands and thousands of people there. Um, no, I understand. The issue is, is that when people go to the supermarket, they should know what it is that they're buying. It, it mm-hmm. should be plain in bold letters explaining what it is that they're buying. Uh, that has been an issue and brought up in the past, but it never goes as far as it should because we're still complaining about it today. Oh, no, no. Labeling is, is interesting that natural foods can contain, what, I think up to 20% artificial stuff and still be called natural. Um, Non-GMO, what they're saying is this, this uh, new genetically modified food with vaccine, you know, gene stuff in there. Uh, they're saying that's non-GMO because I forgot what the, what the logic was. It was made in another country, and their labeling laws aren't as strict. So we're going by their labeling laws rather than our labeling laws. It's, it's, all, it's all a disguise. And if the product is safe, then you can tell the truth about it. The only reason to lie about it is because it's not safe. Well, obviously, putting vaccine-engineered you know, meat and vegetables is not safe any more than all the extra hormones and additives and growth hormones and antibiotics and everything else they put in the food. This is why people like natural food. It's weird that it's more expensive but you know, for what they're not putting in it, but that's the case. But if you buy something that says organic, you know, that the whole thing is based on the fact that it actually is organic. And if, if organic stuff is not organic, that has vaccine genes in it because you, you know, they, people don't take the jab because it's dangerous, then we've got a problem. And Missouri seems to be the, the only one that's have actually, have, actually having an informed consent. They seem to be doing the right thing. So that's good. But it has to spread nationally. And so there's many, many issues like this. But again, the biggest problem I have, well, let me get the title, the title of the show today. Um, if it, you, know, you have to change the laws if you want to change it all. And so from the rally that's coming up this week, from all the actions people are taking, the, the one single thing that's going to have the most effect is you've got to change the laws. And if you protest to change the laws, yeah, that's something. Um, better still, like the school boards, we were talking about the school problems earlier. You know, you've got to change the population of school boards, which means you need to change the population of teachers, which means you need to change, you know, the teaching colleges. You need to have it, you know, everybody that comes out of uh, education college is a liberal. Well, that has to change. You know, and I see about this. Well, you know, Go ahead. I got a big question. Yeah, the picture of who's protesting, just mm-hmm. like I, uh, I've talked about the the picture of pro Second Amendment need to be youth, a yeah. picture of youth rather than grandmas and grandpas. Mm-hmm. Uh, same thing with militia. The picture of militia need to be a picture of youth, young people in gun clubs rather than a bunch of white males running around in the the woods, and you know what type of criticism that would get. So well, yeah, you look at all the YouTube. We have to start reserving to modern ways to get the message yeah. out. Well, let's talk to Brianna tomorrow about that. She's still a teenager, and she's uh, looking at uh, Patriot Academy this year, which is a fabulous place for a lot of teenagers. You know, what they really need to do is start making, you know, teenagers and guns videos, uh, competitions, shooting. Um, cowboy events, you know, you know, who's, uh, I'll talk to Candace about that. She has the horse, uh, the horse ranch out here. Uh, and so if we can get more folks, in fact, she had a video of someone, uh, guy doing a barrel racing with uh, a handgun and a, and a uh, lever action rifle, you know, shooting balloons while the horse is galloping and racing around barrels. That's a talent, you know, but we need to make guns fun. 
And so any kind of competition, any kind of things like that, you know, it, it, we need to make entertaining. You know, we used to have guns in all, all the TV shows. They used to be in the cartoons. You know, so that whole thing has changed, too. But, but the question I wanted to ask you, and I was thinking about this, too, is that and before you talk about the guns real quick, okay, go ahead, I would actually. be interested yeah. to hear uh-huh. what uh, she has to say about the action against those two black legislatures in Tennessee where uh, they were being expelled because of their be- their, be- their insurrection-like behavior. Mm-hmm. And you got people now saying that, it, well, it's racist of what they're experiencing, whereas in the past, since the beginning, it's been white legislatures who were expelled by the legislature. I mean, the legislature has their rules. And when you join the club, as you do mm-hmm. any other club, you have to follow the rules. You can't be acting for 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 a popular term. You can't be acting a damn fool in the assembly. Well, actually, it actually proves the reverse that it's not racist. And the reason, and this is how I'd argue against it: it's not racist because they broke the rules. If we were racist, we would say that because they're black, we're not going to make them follow the rules. That would be the racist way of doing it. Saying that they're, they're not good enough. You know, they're, 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 they don't, uh, rules don't apply to black people the same way. And that would be the racist uh, way of handling it. But I'd say this is, this is proof that it's not racist. The fact that, the, you know, the fact that people who did it were black is irrelevant. The fact is these are the two people who did it. So it's not like they're blaming somebody else. It's not like they, they uh, said, well, you and had you know, let's pick on the black guys. <laughs> you know, that, that's not yeah. what's happening. That would be racist, right? But because they're actually picking on, they, actually, they've removed the people who caused the insurrection, what's the problem? And if, if people start screaming racism, let them. Well, you know, you know here's to, the point. Tennessee and uh, Memphis, you, uh-huh. have, uh, you have crime going on in Memphis all the time. You have shootings. Mm-hmm. Where is the protest against the black males that's doing all this shooting in in the city of Memphis that's killing people? Yeah, exactly. Where is it? Well, it, it, what, what is statistically, well, who is most likely, you know, to cause crime? So you got a black male aged what, sixteen to twenty? You know what? You, you I've seen you've seen some stories of them as young as twelve year old. Reserving the gun, you had reserving the guns and carjacking. So I guess you're gonna to have to say between uh, twelve and probably fifty. Now I don't think it's that old. That's I think, a big I think, the, the, I think there's a certain age where where crime, you know, just drops like radically. Um, probably because people get tired of jail. Well, I don't you know. Don't what see the too many people on walkers out there causing a lot of crime. There's not a lot of walkers jacking cars. Yeah, exactly. No, I think it's actually fairly young. I think that uh, by 30s, most uh, you know black men who are criminals earlier have stopped. There's just they don't have the energy. They don't have the whatever it is. And they get tired of jail well, for whatever reason. You know, I mean, but the, but the problem is all those years they were committing crimes. So hey, you why? Yeah, why black males? Why young black males? What are we doing? You know, to to have all these criminals? And not do something about it. Now, you can't well, arrest everybody. Yeah. If whites talk about it, then they're going to mm-hmm. be accused of being racist. You don't have enough blacks talking about it. Right. And countering, you know, putting up, you know, like the, what they're asking for in Tennessee is gun reform. Well, what type of gun reform? Mm-hmm. You have to be specific. 
They never talk about that. They just use that particular word, gun reform. So, well, see, but no one's using our argument. Know, Remember the argument I made very clearly that gun control is statutory law, that the constitutional right to keep and bear arms is constitutional law. Constitutional trumps statutory every time. So as long as you want to propose a law that does not inflict upon the absolute right to keep and bear, it's going to be okay. So just make that the simple test. Does it touch the right to keep and bear arms? We're not talking use. See, once you separate use out of the argument, I mean, I would love to debate any, any gun controlling person. I mean, call my show, 215-383-3832. If you believe that, uh, that if you take guns away from people who don't commit crimes, that's going to solve something, come on the show. Let's talk. And I can explain very clearly that the Second Amendment does not have the word use in it. So anybody that tries to say that people who are using guns in crimes has a problem with the Second Amendment, it's, they're mutually exclusive. They are not connected. The word use is not in the Second Amendment. The Second Amendment says nothing about the use of firearms. It says the right to keep and bear. And once you understand that, everything else makes sense. And yet all these people, they don't use that argument. I don't know why. It would be nice if you get somebody in one of these groups like Mother's Demand and ask them those questions. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, I mean, it's, well, it's like many of them out there. I need to get more opposition people on the show. I need to get more people who disagree with me uh, and you, you know, on the show. Uh, actually, we may have, uh, and I'm not going to give too many de- details yet, but I'm working on a progressive report. And so this might be really interesting. So uh, I'm going to hold off on, on some details for now. But uh, there's, as you know, I always have my brain working. Uh, my biggest problem right now, I'm going to write an article on this, is that, and I wrote this on Facebook, you know, all over all my groups this weekend, you know, do something where you actually do something. You know, in other words, I'm sick of getting videos, except I got a really good one from Tina. But for the most part, people are telling me things I knew two years ago. Um, people are, are, are sending memes. They're wasting time. The only thing that's going to make change is changing laws. And the reason is because the laws are being used against people. And I want to talk to Jonathan about this when he comes on top of the hour. Uh, Dorothy's not going to be with us. She's busy this week. So she'll be back next week. So hopefully we get Jonathan for uh, you know, maybe a couple hours. But uh, if you don't change the laws, we're always going to live under bad laws you know, or mandates, which weren't law, but not enough people challenged them. You know, everything that's happened that's gone wrong, the, 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 the government uses the laws against us. The government creates laws to maintain their power and subjugate all of us. So you can protest, but unless you're protesting the change of a law, there's no point. You know, uh, you know if you're going to pro- – don't protest the school board. Kick them out. <laughs> you know, replace them. <laughs> you know, change the budget. I agree. You know, you know have, a, have an ideological test that 50% of teachers have mm-hmm. to be conservative. I mean, why not? That'd be interesting. We'll call it conservative affirmative action. <laughs> you know, well, there's, you there's got in Minneapolis where they're going to lay off the white teachers before they lay off the black teachers, then why not require yeah, exactly. that 50% be uh, identified conservative teachers? Well, they should lay off the, the liberal teachers first because there's so many more of them. Preserve the conservative ones. That's right. You know, there are ways to do it. I got a bunch of issues. Um, yeah, exactly. Um, 
a lot of stuff I'm going to be explaining on my Substack. So go to gregpenglis.substack.com. This weekend, I put my entire coronavirus uh, clearinghouse uh, timeline. And so if anybody wants to know all the little details, all the, the, the actual patent numbers of coronaviruses, everything from the Purbright Institute in England uh, to DARPA to all the people that are involved in this, all the different things that, well, actually, I should probably pull it up right now. Um, there's a bunch of stuff in there. And so I just I took notes over the course of a couple of years, put them all in this timeline. And so there's, there's, a, there's an amazing amount of things there. So let me go. I'm going to pull out a couple of things for you folks. Uh, to take a look at. But these are things that I've forgotten. So way back in the beginning, it starts with the 1979 Bayh-Dole Act, recipients of federal funding to patent, retain economic interest uh, in the research that the public paid for. You know, so that's how governments, government employees get money. Um, you know, and patents and stuff, that's where Dr. Fascist makes all his money. Then you've got 85-86, where we had, uh, oh, here we go. In the 1985-86 edition of Harrison's Principles of Internal Medicine, Dr. Fauci wrote that hydroxychloroquine worked as an antiviral agent despite being an anti-malarial malarial drug. So back in 1985, you know, Dr. Fascist knew that hydroxychloroquine stops coronaviruses. That's, that's in there. Um, January 8th, 2000, Pfizer applies for first patent for coronavirus with S spike protein. 2000. What else have I got in here that's kind of interesting? Uh, this is just a bunch of stuff in here. Um, 2006, the movie V for Vendetta comes out. You know, a tyrannical government controls people with the fear of an out-of-control virus. <laughs> it's set in the year 2020. You know, so there's just a bunch of stuff. 2007, the interim pandemic guidelines with, a, with the pandemic severity index, which said you couldn't mess with the economy or the infrastructure. Whatever you did with the pandemic, you know, you had to keep impact on society minimal. Well, that was done away with, you know, before they could bring in all the lockdowns. So a lot of stuff here. So that would that, be a good place for, for people to go uh, if they're interested. Uh, I think I want to take a break now for a bit. I'll take a break for a couple minutes. I'll come back. There's another website, too. Um, Pianki, are you noticing on, on our Facebook pages some of the these um, – it's like people are going after the hospitals now. We've had a couple of guests. We have Rebecca Charles and Scott Shara, whose who's, uh, both their daughters were killed by government hospital protocols. Well, they're fighting back. They're doing lawsuits. Rebecca's got a website. I post on my pages too. But there's a growing movement. You want to talk about protests? These people are serious. But they're not just protesting. They're actually taking out lawsuits. And that, to me, is much more, uh, much more active and it's going to be much more successful. Have you heard about that at all, Pianki? You had a chance to... Uh... See those because if not, I'll, I'll talk about it a little bit when we come. No, back. I haven't heard about that, but I know it does happen. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, where are all the mal- malpractice suits? We're for all the people that died. All right. Anyway, so it's seven thirty-eight. I'm gonna take a little break here. We're gonna Jonathan at the top of the hour, and be right back in just a couple of minutes. Greg Penglis here for my book, The Complete Guide to Flight Instruction. Everyone at some point in their life wants to learn how to fly. Few try. Even fewer go on to get a license. I believe a major reason for that is how we teach people how to fly. My book is designed to help you navigate the flight training system, but it's so much more than that. It really describes an entirely new way to teach flying. So if you've never tried a lesson or got discouraged in your training and quit for any reason, this book can help you. Don't be a rope pilot who just follows procedures. Be a thinking pilot who makes great decisions, who understands all the reasons why we do what we do. You can incorporate these principles into your own flight training at any time. The Complete Guide to Flight Instruction is featured on the Action Radio with Greg Pankless Facebook page and is available from Amazon.com. 
Well, that sounds good. Even better. Okay, how about your car? If you want the best service for your vehicle, please talk to James at Florida Stores Automotive, conveniently located at 6715 Caroline Street in the historic district of Milton, Florida, right between the Milton Bakery and the Blackwater Trail. Whether you need an oil change or an entire engine replaced, this is the place. The phone number is 850-623-6651. That's 850-623-6651. Call, ask questions, and get the information you need. Florida Stores Automotive is a full-service automotive shop for both domestic and imports, modern and classic. It is a family-owned business here in our Milton community. Open weekdays from 7.30 to 5 p.m., Florida Stars Automotive is a convenient place to keep your car maintained and on the road. Ask them about Firestone Tires and the rotation and maintenance plan. Florida Stars Automotive. I go there. You should, too. Do you know your way around healthcare, insurance, pharmacies, surgery, alternative treatments and choices? I don't, which is why I'm so glad I met Priscilla Romans, had her on Action Radio, and learned about health patient advocacy. She is the founder of Great Care, and now as an affiliate of Great Care, we are proud to offer through our discount code, WYL, which stands for Write Your Laws, a 10% discount. Great Care saves you both time and money. They provide medical advocacy, consultation, advice, and recommendations nationwide. Their website is greatcare.com. That's G-R-A-I-T-H care.com. You can email them at greatcare.adm at gmail.com or call them at 469-864-7149. That's 469-864-7149. Great Care, better health through better knowledge and advocacy. This is Greg Penglis. So what is Action Radio? It is a radio show with its own citizen legislature. That's you, the listener. It is a fully interactive system of listeners, expert guests, social media, writing bills, legislator input, bill submission, lobbying, and citizen action. Action Radio is the future of talk radio using all the available technology in one completely integrated new system. You are listening to Action Radio Online with Greg Penglis. The webpage for all Action Radio shows and podcasts is blogtalkradio.com slash citizen action. Please share our show with all your friends and family, both nationally and internationally. The guiding principle of Action Radio is this. We the people give our consent to be governed through writing the laws by which we are governed. Dangerously cool. 
All right. So the website you're on and the one to share is blogtalkradio.com slash citizen action. Our legislative website is writeyourlaws.com, W-R-I-T-E-Y-O-U-R-L-A-W-S. My substack is gregpenglis.substack.com, and our contribution site is givesendgo.com slash action radio. We have live chat open. The Skype line is open. The regular line is open at 215-383-3832. Pianki's on the line. And we're just, uh, just kind of cruising today. This, uh, uh, I'm, 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 I'm changing the direction of the show. Um, so I'm sort of in a, a kind of a I don't know what to do mode <laughs> as I'm exploring different things. But I think uh, Pianki and I were talking about the fact that I need to get more opposition folks on the show. And so I've been looking at uh, getting those, those uh, gun-grabbing groups and some of the other you know, economic socialists and some other folks to, uh, to really start debating the issues. Cause I know, I know we've got the right arguments. I just, you know, be curious to, uh, um, to get, uh, to get their, their, their opinion. Anyway, Pianchi, if you want to pull up the website on your computer, deathbyhospitalprotocol.com. So this is my friend, Rebecca Charles. And so she was on, she lost her daughter, uh, killed by the hospital. Same as Scott Shara. Uh, his doctor, his daughter had down syndrome. She was the one, um, and she's, if you look at the slides for all my shows, you know, her, uh, her picture is always there. Um, anyway, so yeah, so these are the folks, and, and they're not the only ones. You know, my webmaster was killed by his hospital. Um, Dr. Pry, one of my favorite guests, I believe, was killed by the COVID shot. And so this has is, is touched all of us. You know, Josie has friends in her church that are dying, you know, from the COVID shots. And so this is, this is probably the biggest crime uh, of the century, you know, so it's certainly the biggest crime since the Holocaust. Um, we'll see what happens in the long run, but it's very, you know, it, it, but people are starting to fight back. One of the ways they're fighting back um, is this website, American Hospital Genocide, Justice for Your Loved Ones, deathbyhospitalprotocol.com. And it's pretty graphic. It's got a map of the United States and then blood flowing all over it. I mean, they're, they're not, uh, they're not pulling around here. And these are people that are really, really, furious at what happened. I mean, they've gone, the grief, the, the grief has turned to anger and action. And so we're going to start featuring these folks on the show. We're start featuring stories of people that were killed by their hospital and what's being done about it and lawsuits and things like that. So that's the kind of action that I never would have thought of. Did, I mean, I didn't anticipate COVID coming, but when I look at this, I'm thinking, yeah, you know, so this is, uh, we do the legislative stuff, but anybody else is doing something good. I certainly want to feature it. Pianchi, do you get a chance to pull up that website? I don't know if you have a chance to go on your computer. No, I haven't had a chance to pull it up yet. All right, deathbyhospitalprotocol.com. So just to describe it, um, it's got, um, the top of it says American Hospital Genocide, map of the U.S. with what looks like a, uh, a hospital building with the administrator and then crosses beside it. And this is Justice for Your Loved Ones, uh, deathbyhospitalprotocol.com. It's got different sections. It's got home, write your reviews about hospital holocaust, uh, the tragic story of Rebecca's daughter. It's going to map the U.S. I think still, so the website is still being worked on. And the whole point is website. It says, tell the world what your loved one experienced with the hospital protocol. And so they're going to take stories and they're looking for testimonials. And it says, beware, stop the genocide. If any of your loved ones died of multiple organ failure, sepsis in the name of the COVID, you know, raise your voice here and help stopping genocide. And of course, the eye in genocide has a big needle. Um, so again, it's a new website. We're going to start uh, featuring these uh, these stories, featuring the people, and hopefully let's do something about it. My solution, again, it's very. There's two things: one, vaccine product liability, and two, getting rid of big tech censorship through liability. If you hold these folks liable, 
Libel is the, mo- is the most powerful economic tool I think there is. That's what stopped big tobacco. The reason you don't have cigarettes in the, in the restaurants and uh, in offices and, you know, the reason you, a whole lot of people aren't taking up smoking is because the cigarette companies were held liable. Big tobacco was held liable for what they did. Well, it worked there. It's going to work with big pharma. Big pharma is not being held liable. You know, it's like, well, you look at all those World War II movies and all the soldiers, they keep getting cigarettes. Well, that was by design. The tobacco companies were so cynical and so uh, um, just horrible in, their, in their, their, their absolute greed and obsession that they sent free cigarettes to all the soldiers so they wouldn't lose the habit of smoking while they were overseas, you know, defending our country. <laughs> it's pretty bad. Well, you could, you, know, you could say that, but they also could have needed the, the, the nicotine to be able to endure the circumstances that he was in well then uh then take the nicotine then then vape <laughs> you know i mean nicotine is addictive is there that but that that sort of it says is. that there's nothing there were no other substitutes there were no there were no other ways to do it well at that time it wasn't and it's not that they made them they did it by choice they could have done a hershey bar it's because saying the same thing was giving kids hershey bars which uh they didn't need no sugar yeah, but it's different than sugar is different than tobacco. <laughs> you know, I know what you mean, though, but it's, it's, it's a, I think it's an entirely different thing. Um, all right, so I've announced that. I just got a bunch. Today we're kind of all over the place because there's a lot of different issues I want to cover. One of the issues that's not being covered. What, what do you think is the, the most important issue right now that's not being covered, Pianchi? Or the most important news story? Well, it depends on who you look to. If you look to the uh, regular news media, the uh, traditional, of course, they're going to be on uh, stories where they're trying to get people to come out and vote against Republicans, like uh, what's going on in uh, Tennessee. Well, what's going on in Tennessee is, is the, the but I actually heard, uh, uh-huh. yeah, I ahead. actually listened to some people out of Chicago, a, a blog talk show. Uh, Jimmy Tillman, and you got blacks that's pro-Trump in Chicago. Oh, and anti the Meredith, the anti the new mayor. Well, the new mayor apparently is even worse than the old mayor. (laughs) Was that song by the Who? Here comes the new boss, (laughs) worse than the old boss. (laughs) You know, so that's uh, Mm -hmm. that's that's kind of where we stand right now. I'm trying to think which, uh, which article I want to take a look at here. Uh, the story that I think is the most underreported right now, or not report at all, is the 30th anniversary of Waco, which is April 19th. It's next Wednesday. So on April 19th, I'm going to do a whole history of April 19th, from the Warsaw Ghetto to the start of our war for independence to the Murr building to the, the, the massacre at Waco. Remember when I was looking for people that come, came from Waco? I said, now, who, who was there? That's that's prominently in politics now. You know who is? Who Two is figures, Merrick Garland and Eric Holder, were both uh, deputies to Janet Reno during Waco. And look at them now. Isn't it fascinating? Let me see which one. Uh, let's start with the one that uh, got me going on this. So this is this is what first because I was looking for and I couldn't find anybody. I said, "Who is at Waco?" I'm doing all these searches and things on the internet. Nothing came up. So then I got this on the weekend. Uh, it's my news summary from the Patriot Post, America's News Digest. 
And it says, Waco, 30 years later, the deadly ATF FBI assaults, they weren't assaults, they were murders, on the Koresh, where they say cult compound. Let's put this in proper perspective. The murders by the ATF FBI on a religious uh, community at Waco. So there we go. So this is April. Uh, we, got, da, 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 da. we got Mark Alexander, interesting commentator. It has been said, here's a quote. This is from James Madison. It has been said that all government is an evil. It would be more proper to say that the necessity of any government is a misfortune. This, this necessity, however, exists, and the problem to be solved is not what form of government is perfect, but which of the forms is least imperfect. Well, that's kind of general. Um, was Jefferson said government's a necessary evil, <clears throat> you know, but it has to be carefully controlled, <laughs> which is true. If you have no government, you have anarchy. If you have too much government, you have tyranny. So you need just enough government to protect life, uh, rights, and property. That's how I look at it. I'm really going to start working against some opposition groups on here. I think, I think we might be onto something here. So the article says April 19th is a glorious day in American history. It's the anniversary of Patriots Day, the dawn of American liberty. It marks the opening salvo of the American Revolution at Lexington and Concord in 1775, the first steps towards establishing an irrevocable declaration of the unalienable, and it's with the UN folks, unalienable rights of man, the rights of all people endowed by our creator, subordinating the rule of men, to the rule of law. And I hate the expression rule of law. We did a show on that. I wish they'd just say subordinating, you know, you know, people to the, to the law. Well, we'll get it later. Anyway, this is the basis of our Republic's constitution. April 19th, back to the article, though it's also a date that was irrevocably scarred by the disgraceful actions of the ATF and particularly the FBI 30 years ago when they assaulted the cult compound, that's their words, not mine, of a delusional sociopathic pedophile uh, Vernon Howell, a.k.a. David Koresh, their words too, northwest of Waco, Texas. That assault was the culmination of what is infamously known as the Waco siege. Okay, that to me is pure propaganda and a bunch of lies. That's not why I, have this, I found this article interesting. Why I found it interesting was the next part, which is that siege began February 28th, a month after Bill Clinton became president. This is his first major action. So you can't tell me this wasn't planned before Bill Clinton got there. So they were new. I don't know how long Janet Reno had been around. Nobody ever heard of her until then. But uh, Janet Reno becomes attorney general. And the first thing Bill Clinton and Janet Reno do is they kill a bunch of people. Great. Then they try to impose health care on us, government health care. The article says it ended 51 days later in a deadly failed attempt to force the cult members out of their compound. Again, more propaganda. Actions ordered by Clinton's attorney general, Janet Reno. And here's the part that I found interesting. It is notable that under Reno's stewardship, two rogue AG outlaws rose to power. Both Barack Obama's Attorney General Eric Holder, who was Reno's Deputy Attorney General, and Joe Biden's AG Merrick Garland, who was Reno's Principal Associate Deputy Attorney General. So, in other words, the two people most, you know, highest up there um, with Janet Reno at Waco were Eric Holder and Merrick Garland, learning all their stormtrooper, you know, and Minister of Internal Security tactics from the Master Janet Reno, who had no compunction at all killing a whole bunch of people and who sat there before Congress and said, well, we just pumped in an irritant. That wasn't tear gas. It wasn't military grade tear gas. That was highly inflammable. It was an irritant. And then she looked at Congress and said, may I go now? <laughs> Truly a sick psychopath. But then I found that interesting. And I looked at their backgrounds. In fact, I looked at Merrick Garland's background. It says nothing about Waco from the websites I checked. So what did these people do? And who else was there? Piaki, do you know of anybody else that was at Waco? No, I don't. 
Well, I find it hard to, uh, I'm going to erase this article because I'd forgotten how much propaganda was in it. Let me see if I can get you another one that's a little bit more realistic here. Uh, let's go to this one. Uh, here we go. This is actually from the website All Poetry. <laughs> that's interesting. Merrick Garland, co-conspirator and cover-up of Oklahoma City Federal Building. So Merrick Garland has a really interesting history. My contention is they tried to put him on the Supreme Court to hide all this stuff in that so-called lifetime appointment, which we know isn't. But uh, I'm really curious. Uh, it says here, Christopher Emery's documentary reveals the extent of prosecutor Merrick Garland's co-conspiracy in the Oklahoma bombing cover-up. After years of investigation, film producer Christopher Emery created the documentary A Noble Lie. That's, that's a lie the government tells, you know, even though it's wrong, uh, but they have the best of intentions. So to me, there's no such thing as a noble lie, but we'll go from there. This is noble lie about the government false flag or black op the Oklahoma City bombing. His research revealed that the ATF employees, there we go again, there's our ATF, right, whose offices were in the Murrah building, uh, were notified on their papers prior to the bombing not to show up for work, nor were any of their children that day in the building's daycare center. Doesn't that strike you as interesting? <laughs> okay, next one. Uh, McVeigh had been an employee of the CIA, a sharpshooting assassin, much decorated for his talent. He had also been assigned to, to covert government drug cartel operations. His last commendation came uh, when he was awaiting execution. He was given $2 million in cash by his employers, who stole it back after the bombing as they simultaneously notified the Justice Department of McVeigh's whereabouts. Anyway, it's an interesting thing. So uh, yeah, I should probably, yeah, what else we got here? I think I'll, I think I'll, that article, I think I got the interesting part of that too. I should probably read more of these articles because sometimes they go off in some pretty weird directions. It's like, okay, all right. Anyway, but uh, let's see if I can find you one more here. A little more confirmation. This is from Conservative Base. Clinton's and Biden's massacre, Waco's Branch Davidian slaughter, a preview of today's evil politicians. Give us for a little bit, then we get Jonathan in a couple minutes. Pianki, do you have a comment so far? Did you know about uh, Eric Holder and uh, Merrick Garland, their their illustrious past? Nope, never heard of him until uh, he came on with Obama. So how come we didn't hear about that when Merrick Garland was being considered for Supreme Court? No one told us he was at Waco. No one said he was involved in uh, Oklahoma City bombing. You never heard about, you hear what a wonderful judge he was. I don't even know how long he was a judge. So the fact that the left worked so hard to put him on the Supreme Court, well, we dodged a bullet on that. So what did Mitch McConnell know? Because he was the, one, the main person that kept him. It's the only thing Mitch McConnell's ever done right is keep Merrick Garland off the Supreme Court. So what did he know that he wasn't telling us? So now I'm curious. Hmm. Here we go. This is the right. This is back to this, this, this last article I've got here from Conservative Base, uh, written by Jim Curry, National Association Chiefs of Police. Well, that's interesting. July 20th, 2021. So it's a couple, couple of years old. The record of the Waco incident documents mistakes. You know, what the record from Waco does not evidence, however, is any improper motive or intent on the part of law enforcement. Guess who said that? Joe Biden. U.S. Senator Delaware and a member of the Senate Judiciary Committee, which issued the Waco investigation report. So if you want to know Joe Biden's involvement in Waco, he was the senator. I think he was in charge, actually, because the Senate was Democrat then, um, of the Waco investigation. Now, given Joe Biden and Barack Obama's later association and Joe Biden's association with basically terror, you know, in terms of government and corruption, who better to put on the Waco Commission to cover up? the murders than Joe Biden. So he's in on this too. 
It says, uh, here's another quote. Let's see if I get you some more stuff here. In 1993, tanks were used to crush the compound's outer perimeter and outer buildings. Private vehicles belonging to the Branch Davidians and repeatedly rolled over the grave of Branch Davidian Peter, Gr- Peter Ghent despite protests from both Branch Davidians and federal uh, negotiators. Yeah, they actually tried to negotiate this, but that was, Jen Reno didn't want to have any part of that. Uh, it says, while none of this is acceptable, two of these activities bear special examination, the gas and flashbang grenades. So if you don't know... I'm going to go into a little bit, sort of our personalities for a little bit here too. But the things that were done at Waco that, that, that people don't know about, um, the tear gas, the tanks. Here's just another uh, example of what's going on. The, the article says the tear gas used against the compound was military grade, a type that can turn toxic very easily. Well, Janet Reno had to know that, right? The federal agents knew there were children and even infants in the house, children too small for any gas mask to cover. They shot grenades in any way, effectively considering the suffering of the children inside is acceptable. Further, flashbang grenades are deadly and certainly violated the spirit, if not the letter, of the ceasefire. So they actually had a ceasefire, but, well, didn't care about that either. Another quote, Koresh became concerned with the safety of the group due to the increasingly aggressive tactics. All told, 11 people left the Davidian house, all of whom were arrested as material witnesses. So there was their choice. They either, uh, you know, stick around in, in the place and get killed. I mean, I'm not laughing at this, you know, uh, but, you know, with the poison gas and the flames, or they walk out, save their lives from that, and then they get arrested and they're forced to work for the government. Jonathan's on the line. I'll get to him in a second. Uh, children uh, inside were increasingly unwilling to leave Koresh's side, especially once they learned that the children who had previously left had been separated from the mothers and other women in the group. So there's more of this article. I think I'll get to it in a little bit. Let's get Jonathan on here um, and uh, see anybody else. No, no one's on live chat. So kind of having a weird morning. I'm sort of all over the place this morning, Jonathan, as I'm, I'm reevaluating uh, where to take the show. I think away from some of the guests that we've had, more towards guests that are in opposition, and more direct action, more legislation. So that's what I'm thinking this morning. Anyway, we're covering Waco. Um, no one's talking about it. I mean, no one. It's not in the news anywhere. This is, this is crazy. It's our worst attack by government on, on American citizens ever, and no one's talking about it except us. Jonathan? Hello, hello. Did you mute yourself? You must have muted himself. Oh, hi. Yeah, I, hold on a sec. Okay, take okay. your time. Is he there? Is he not there? Uh, so, so yeah, I, I wasn't able to hear the, the previous conversation. Sorry. Oh, that's okay. All right. So we'll just kind of, uh, we'll do what we usually do, just kind of pick up wherever you want to uh, join us then. If you're if you're ready, yeah. Of course, a lot is going on, uh, and um, um, I was trying to think of all the things that that we that we should should talk about. Um, I think since the last year we've been on, we had um, we had uh, the actual indictment released for mm-hmm. Donald Trump, and we might want to talk about that a bit. We also sure. are seeing extraordinary attacks on. Clarence Thomas as a Supreme Court justice, and um, maybe I'll start there. Like I said, try to be um, a little educational as well as uh, as as just you know taking position of things. Of course, we also are very interested in in helping listeners be armed and uh, equipped to to understand and argue these things. So, so, so I thought I'd take a few minutes on that. Um, Okay. The thing is, the Supreme Court just Supreme Court is different from every other um, 
course because, for example, when it comes to recusal, there's no backup. The, the, the Supreme Court has often taken the position that they're not to any of the rules that actually they imposed upon lower courts, in part because they, um, you know, if they, if they were to refuse themselves, um, there's no one to step in behind them. Now, sometimes Supreme Court justices have refused themselves, but typically, um, you know, that, that's, that's the issue is that when you have a district, let's say you have a district court or a circuit court, and you've got, you know, 9, 11, 15, 15 different district court judges, and there's possible to recuse themselves, and mm-hmm. there's really no excuse not to, because all you, you know, all you have to do is just give it to a different judge. Um, and we maintain this this fiction that you know the, the court, if, you, if if an attorney or someone else were to suggest that you get a different outcome with a different judge, that you know that's considered heresy, and how dare you? And you should be burned at the stake for um, suggesting that the outcome of the case would depend upon which judge hears it. It's supposed to be based on the law, you know, and the, and it's dispassionate and the law is unchanging and, and um, blah, blah, well, blah. There's, so, there's two cases right now, though, that are, are, are they're, uh, either the, uh, the, the, the sex change cases or, or abortion drug. I think it's, maybe it's the abortion drug that you've got two completely different um, rulings, opposite yeah, we'll, rulings. Yeah, and we'll talk, let's talk about that, that as well. Okay, but guys, I'm, so I'm just continue what you were saying. Yeah. Let me finish, let me finish with the, the setup, and, oh, and we'll, we'll get to that too, because I think they're okay. all important. But, all but right. I mean, the, the issue, <clears throat> I mean, I, I'm just telling you that when it, comes to the, when it comes to the federal courts, there are, you know, there are five lights. You're looking at four lights, and it, and, it, it, and it didn't begin with the five lights thing. Did not begin with Jean-Luc Luc Picard on uh, Star Trek. It began with uh, um, I forget who it is, but it was, um, I think it's Solzhen, uh the Russian Secret Service, and, and, and KGB. Um, so it's, you know, it's not just a Star Trek thing. It's a it's a real history thing that you face show you four lights and then they torture you until you say that there are five when there aren't. So we pretend that the judges, you know, that the decision of the court is like, oh, of course, that's the right decision. There couldn't possibly be another decision that is driven by the law and the facts and, and that, you know, the judge shouldn't matter. So, 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 you know, the correct response to that is, well, then then you won't mind if we just swap out this judge for a different judge to to remove <laughs> the paint, and like oh my god you can't do that it's an attack on the judiciary how dare you suggest that you know that that a judge has to be refused because this is a, this public confidence you know that's you know that's that's horrible you know but but that's that's the nonsense oh so so that's I mean that's the argument normally with a judge is that is that judges are you know they're supposed to be fungible. Uh, mm-hmm. You know the same. Any judge 
looking at the facts and the law would come to the same conclusion. Um, and of course, nobody believes that. Um, but you're, you are required to believe it. And if you say otherwise, you know, they'll file a bar complaint against you. And uh, um, anyway, so, but with the Supreme Court, only those who have been nominated and confirmed by the president and confirmed by the Senate can be a Supreme Court justice. So mm-hmm. if, you, if one justice is disqualified, there's nobody else. So technically, <laughs> the um, ethics rules uh, have never been recognized as applying to the Supreme Court. They, uh, um, they, they consider them guidelines. They're, they're, well, some, I mean, okay, we pretend that they're binding on the lower court, but of course they're not. Um, and then, um, but, they're, but they're explicitly not binding on the Supreme Court. So, so we have this thing. So now we also have this. Um, so, so now at, we, we, we live in a, in a very tainted and dangerous time in our society. Things that, are, that clearly have nothing to do with race are racial uproars, like the thing in the Tennessee legislature. We were talking about that um, earlier. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure Pianka will have a comment. Yeah. Again. But the thing is, is that, but. You know, the constant attacks on a black conservative judge um, just because he's black and conservative and therefore doesn't toe the line, um, you know, those – you'd think that that would – well, actually has alienated, I think, a lot of, a lot of black voters. But you'd think it would have a bigger impact. So, so why are they doing it? What do, you, what do you think is behind Clarence, going after Clarence Thomas? Have, because the – Back to last week, which is an excellent discussion, I think, and people should <clears throat> consider going back and listening to it. Um, and the the communist mentality is to is to, to try to get you to look at your group. It's like the whole thing. It's the whole thing about racism. You are your group, you know, or, or CRT. You know, you you are an oppressor because you're white. You are not an individual. You are not a person. You are not who you are. You are just your group. That's a, that is communist thinking. And again, people don't have to wear Russian hats or, you know, Chinese hats to be a communist. <clears throat> Communism came from <clears throat> from Germany and Austria. And uh, but it's it, it's it's this group thinking with. Um, corresponding grievances, pitting one group against each other, another, which is how the British Empire, not always the, you know, the paragon of virtue that we <laughs> hope it would be, um, conquered much of the world by doing similar things, pitting one group against another, finding some grievance that goes back and then, you know, then inflaming it and, and, and those kinds of things. So <clears throat> the thing is, is that Clarence Thomas is is a is a black who who does not need um, the race industry, and they, therefore he must be destroyed. Why do they hate Jean O'Donnell? Because she was a young, attractive woman who didn't fit their narrative that you know women are 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 liberal, and so you so you it, she, you know, showed another way. 
So they try to lump everybody together and, and they are then confronted with reality. And so they have to destroy anybody who doesn't, you know, who doesn't fit their narrative. Um, but, but it's particularly yeah. black conservatives that, that are, are the, you know, I mean, they, they hate white conservatives just for being conservative, but black conservatives, it's like if one black person might, they're so group thinking and they're so racist that they think that if uh, one black person is conservative, that they'll sway, you know, millions of other black people to be conservative because that's the group. So the group mentality right. actually uh, infects the group uh, leaders, the, the people that are grouping. And that they think right. in groups too, huh? Right. So I mean, so I mean, the idea. I mean, the idea that <clears throat> you know all blacks are oppressed. Well, maybe some blacks are oppressed, you know. But is billionaire Robert Where? Johnson, the founder of Black Entertainment Television, you know, who is literally a billionaire? I think I think uh worth one point two billion when he divorced his wife because she she got six hundred thousand. Um <laughs> and nice um, work. Yeah. Well I won't go there. Nice work if you can get it. Sorry. I said nice work if you can get it. Yeah. Yeah. So so the thing is is that um so uh anyway, so so that's the uh that's the deal. So they keep attacking Clarence Thomas, and they just won't let up. And um, the other thing about the left, of course, is they have no self-awareness. They, um, you know, they're incapable of, un- of of viewing themselves the way other people see them. So they'll keep doing this, and they're attacking Clarence Thomas's. Um, they, they say because Jenny Thomas, who unfortunately, you know. <clears throat> A black man who marries a white woman is, you know, stepping on a lot of a lot of broken eggs or whatever you want to say, a lot of uh, things, and that that doesn't so, help. So, so who gets offended? So, so a black guy marries a white woman. Who gets offended? Do other white women? Do other black women? Do other white guys or other black guys? Who gets offended? I'm gonna get black, on this too. black women. So a black man marries I a white that. woman. Who gets black women get offended? Uh, yeah. Okay. Because, and, and of course it does, well, okay, this can get really complicated, but I'm just trying to say that, <laughs> we that, <got> time. that, <laughs> that, um, that, um, all right, okay, so, so anyway, so they're, they're, you know, they're trying to say that Jenny Thompson, Jenny Thomas had a, uh, <clears throat> you know, had a career of her own. Right, and they're attacking Clarence Thomas and want him to be impeached because his wife is a, is a conservative activist. So they're going to like so it's basically any woman anywhere who has their own career can only be um, um, can only be uh, defined uh, by her husband. So if you if you are a professional woman in America, according to the left, you are not your own person. You are under the under the covering of your of your wife or your husband. So they have no problem, you know, getting every federal judge's spouse mad at them. Mm-hmm. I mean, because I mean, I'll be a little sexist here because women do tend to worry. How do other people see me? 
when people attack Ginny Thomas for having her own career, even if they don't like the career, um, every woman is looking at it and saying, I wonder if that's what they're thinking about me. You know, they don't, they, they, they personalize it. And so, um, <clears throat> and yes, I'm generalizing, but I, that's my opinion. I'm, that's my story and I'm sticking to it. <laughs> so, um, um, the, uh, so anyway, so they're managing to alienate all professional women and, and alienating blacks, but they don't care because they just, they're incapable of actually seeing the world in a, you know, in, in, a, in a rational way. So anyway, so they're attacking Clarence Thomas because he um, took vacations with a friend. Um, in fact, I need to look something up. I meant to check this day. Apparently, he knows a, a rich billionaire, Harlan Crow, whom, you know, we should all know. Um, who would take vacations over 25 years with Clarence Thomas. I'd love to know. I'd love to know a billionaire, quite frankly. I mean, we could use a little financial support for Action Radio. Hopefully they would look upon us generously. Wouldn't take much, actually. But, uh, yeah, billionaire could definitely make a difference. So so people are saying, well, he didn't, he didn't. So people are saying, well, Thomas did not include it on his tax returns. Well, that's because a gift is not income. You know, people have, have, have difficulty. If I, if I donate, you know, if I, if I, well, if I, if I give you a gift, it's not income. If it's not conditional upon doing work. <clears throat> um, but the nonsense just never stops. So, well, that's because um, it works, <laughs> you know, and, and people, I'll tell you, the, the worst expression I, I hear is when people will say, well, if, uh, if, uh, you know, if a conservative did that, they would be, you know, or if, uh, <laughs> you know, the, it's like the, the liberals scream and yell at something. And uh, I forgot how, how it goes, but generally it's saying that uh, conservatives don't scream and yell. And that's one of the big problems. They said, if, if we did, if a liberal did that, you know, they, 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 or whatever works, I forgot how the expression works. But the point is that, the left does what they do because they can. I, I think it's much simpler. You know, they can make whatever outrageous accusation because the, the conservative folks, the, the, the Republicans, the geldings, will just simply uh, try and argue logically and rationally and say, well, it's not really the case. Uh, it's okay to do this because instead of accusing them of something equally outrageous, they just don't fight back. Right. You know, they, they, <laughs> right. they, they, you know, I mean, liberals can be racist, and, if, and they'll say, well, if a conservative said that, They'd be hell to pay. They'd be screaming and yelling at that. Well, why, why is there a different standard? Why, is there a standard? why aren't the conservatives screaming and yelling? Why aren't they just as mad? Why don't they make up stuff that's just as outrageous? They don't, people have no idea how to fight back. They don't. They're, they're not creative. They're not interesting. They don't make up stuff that's good. You know, I mean, uh, you know, I go back to my, my famous uh, Nancy Pelosi with the fuzzy blue teddy bears. You know, prove to me that Nancy Pelosi doesn't sleep with fuzzy blue teddy bears. Now, no matter what you do, no matter what you think, you cannot get the image of Nancy Pelosi and fuzzy blue teddy bears out of your head because it works. <laughs> you know, it's, it's like saying, uh, right. well, you know, that uh, uh, Mrs. Thomas, you know, Ginny Thomas takes separate vacations because she doesn't want to be seen with her black husband. I mean, you know, is that true? No. <laughs> Obviously, they had the different trips planned. You know, I mean, I don't know what the reason was. Maybe because they were the Supreme Court was in session. Who knows? It doesn't matter. But the point is that <laughs> conservatives will try and be rational. It's like the whole gun argument. Pianchi and I were talking about this earlier. 
You know, they'll, they'll, they'll say, well, the Second Amendment says this and that, you know, and then the liberals will go, well, but people are dying in the streets. People are being killed. It's horrible. We've got to take the guns away from honest people that aren't killing people. What? <laughs> yeah, that's what they're saying, right? So, so you've you got to right. come back with stuff that's just as crazy, uh, you know, and say, well, you, you know, you could say, well, yeah, hey, listen, you know, self-defense is a whole lot safer than abortion <laughs> where you're guaranteed to kill somebody. You know, I mean, you can make, I mean, relate right. arguments like that, but, the, but the, the conservatives, they don't fight back. So the whole thing with the racial stuff is you accuse them of racism. I like Pianchi's point. Pianchi's told me a lot over the last, you know, couple of years. I mean, and I was pretty bad to begin with. Now I'm really bad. I just throw it right back in their face. If someone calls me a racist, they'll be like, prove it. Go ahead. Tell me what you got. Let's see. You know, and I have no problems. Remember Warren? <laughs> it's been a couple of years since Warren accused me of being a racist, but he did. I don't care. I'm still here. The show's still well, here. You know, we still uh, go on. <laughs> Pianchi. It's, it's Blacks attacked Clarence Thomas have been, and you know, Clarence Thomas was supported by uh, one of the Danfords, the Danford Foundation, Ralston Perino, back in the day. Don't know I who think that is. John might have been Peter. Uh-huh. But uh, Clarence Thomas is attacked because he is a conservative with blacks. And uh, that is something that he has had to overcome, uh, been subjected to the punishment of for quite some time. Well, he had the best line when he said, I'm a victim of a high-tech lynching. And, and that was brilliant. Uh-huh. And he, he should still use that. So the lynching is continued. The left, the left is the party of lynching. You know, and, you know, and we should say that. And then you just relate the Ku Klux Klan. Say, look, the Ku Klux Klan is the Democrat militant arm. They're the party of lynching. They're still doing it. They've just gone to technology over rope. I mean, say that. But they don't say mm-hmm. that. Clarence Thomas he spoke out that. against. Uh, he mm-hmm. spoke out against Bunsen in a case uh, Jennings versus uh, Missouri. Hmm. He spoke out against uh, many things that your your black run of the mill gatekeepers think that he should be pro. That's why come uh, uh, when you look at the Supreme Court. That's why come it, it becomes so political who the president is because they think that the uh, Supreme Court judge uh, judges can make laws and they're not well, no, supposed to be making laws. Exactly. So the real, and we talked about this during the last several confirmation hearings. The biggest problem in the Supreme court is that they have an illegal power. I'm trying to get Dershowitz on the show. I've been, I've been looking around, poking around, trying to make contact with people who know who might be in. I know, I know a lawyer friend who went to Harvard, you know, like, how do I get in touch with Dershowitz? I want to challenge him on uh, Marbury versus Madison. I want to take him on a judicial review. It really goes back to the fundamentals that the jur- the judiciary literally makes up their own powers and nobody stops them because they think that they're, they're gods, that they're the only ones who know the law. And how can you challenge the people that know the law? They're the experts. Well, that's a bunch of nonsense. I can read the same as they can read. We're both reading the same constitution. You know, if a black woman and I read the constitution, the word should mean exactly the same thing. And if they don't, then we've got a problem because somebody's interpreting. Somebody's changing the meaning of the words. Now, right. that, now well, does, does that explain why uh, Judge Jackson is on the court now? Is she the liberal to show that not all blacks are like Clarence Thomas? I mean, is that part of the of why she was picked? Or is that just, you know, Barack and Michelle's uh, ambition <laughs> to, to put the entire, you know, make the entire government black women? <laughs> That's what it looks like. Well, you, you, you make me think of an interesting point. If you if you simply hmm. want to establish, uh, you, know, you know, establish the competence and respect of blacks or some other minority, wouldn't hmm. you 
want to choose someone who would be, you know, a towering intellect or something like that, who would, like, people would look like, this is, this person is a member of this minority and look how awesome they are. Um, Yeah, she's an idiot. um, (laughs) She's a total moron. Why would you put up Jackson, who doesn't know what a woman is, and, Mm -hmm. you know, and and is, you know, I I mean, I guess other than her wokeness, you know, she's maybe an okay judge, but it's worse than that. She does know what a woman is. And this is, this is the, the ultimate irony. She does know what a woman is, but she's too either afraid to say so or because of her political base, she can't say so. So let me ask you this, Jonathan, which is worse? Not knowing what a woman is, being convinced that uh, maybe there are fluid genders, which of course is nonsense, or knowing what a woman is, saying something contrary just to please your, your political base. I think the, the second well, one is the latter. I would say the latter is worse. And, and in fact, <clears throat> you know, if it was a conservative, they would say, the person committed a crime of lying to Congress. See, there you go. There's that liberal conservative difference. It's exactly what I was getting to earlier. We can't make that distinction. We have to, we have to treat the parties equally. So if it's bad for a liberal, it's bad for a conservative. If it's bad for a conservative, it's bad for a liberal. We can't have, we've, well, we've got so many double standards out here, it's ridiculous. And why can't we criticize Greg, Judge Jackson? <clears throat> Greg, you've got to remember, it's different when Democrats do it. I'm post, I've been hmm. posting that all over the Internet after Tennessee. It, you know, it's different when, you know, when, when, yeah, you know, when, when conservatives do. Yeah. What? We have to make it the same. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's the same penalty, it's same problem. It's an insurrection when yeah. conservatives do it. It's right. not when Democrats do it, when leftists do it. <clears throat> but um, anyway, so that's what's going on with, with, with the Supreme Court. They're going to try the, you know, um, the, our, our cowering, you know, like now, the, did, did everybody see the, um, James, supposedly a James O'Keefe video on January 6th, including Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, and then President-elect, not in, sworn in, <clears throat> where they're talking, and, and there's a recording of it. And, and I, it's so amazing. I, I really want confirmation that it's real um, and not like, um, you, know, a, you know, artificial intelligence or something. Uh, but she says she says in there that um, we um, you know we have got to do something because the people don't fear us anymore, and if <laughs> we don't do something, we're all we're all dead. Which I think is very you know is very telling. Um, I just Define like do to something. <laughs> what does she want to do? Another Waco? She wanted to she want to kill a bunch of people. What? I mean, that's yes. what Clinton did. Yes. Pretty much, oh, okay. but the thing is, so she, so she, so she said that we should. Um, she said we have to uh, ignore. The, okay, let's go back to the to the myth, to the next topic, which is the abortion drug. Um, now I have to say, you know, I, I've I've participated in Operation Rescue and mm-hmm. uh, blocking abortion should, clinics. I, I have you a lot should of tell friends. folks what that is. Yeah, talk, talk well, about Operation, Operation Rescue, Rescue is. is an organization that um, I think it still exists, but it's not, it hasn't been very active, that would block abortion clinics to prevent um, uh, children from being killed in the abortion. So, um, so they, uh, um, they would, um, you know, but, and so, so you, you typically plan on being arrested 
get a get a misdemeanor, you know, have, have a fine or whatever. Sometimes, and it, it was it was good because Randall Terry, who led it, was um, he was very diligent about about coordinating with the police, just like the Proud Boys and the Oath Keepers would mm-hmm. always would always coordinate before. Um, doing, well, it only makes uh, sense. Going somewhere, we we did that with open carry events in 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 uh, California. And we right. all knew each other after a while. <laughs> we were all buds. It was pretty funny. Hey, Fred. Yeah, I'm back again. Right. <laughs> you know, here's my gun. Right. Okay. And, and they knew that we said, like, you know, this is what we're going to do. We're not going to do anything crazy. We're not, you know, this is what's going to happen. And, you know, okay, fine. And, um, um, like in Chester, Pennsylvania, where I was, the um, one huge event, um, you know, it was all worked out in ahead of time. And, and then we say, you know, we're going to block the abortion clinic. Um, you, um, you know, we know you're going to arrest us and, and clear the, the path. And we're not going to fight, but we're going to slow it down because we want, we believe we're saving babies and we're going to, um, um, you know, so we're not going to cooperate simply to, to buy time. And but we're not going to fight back, and nothing's going to happen. And the, the police were like, "Okay, you know, fine, you know, another day at the job." And they would, you know, they arrested everybody slow, and, and they actually did it very slowly. And and then everybody got booked and sent home. Um, but anyway, I don't know why I'm bringing that up. Um, so we have this this decision in. Um, uh, oh shoot! What, what where is it? Um, my my brain is like have a brain. What are you talking but, about? Um, the the decision that the that the abortion <laughs> pill mm-hmm. um, that the that the the FDA's rule that they just issued about the abortion pill is um, invalid, and the abortion pill methis methis I don't know how to pronounce it. The abortion pill. <laughs> yeah, I know what you mean. Um, is uh, is not authorized. Now, this would mean, and, and the judge, as they often do, uh, stays his decision for, I think, seven days, which is actually kind of short, but they usually stay their, their decision to give, to give people time to, um, to uh, um, appeal. And, that makes sense. You know, that's pretty standard. It's like, look, I know this is my decision. I know it's controversial, mm-hmm. so I'm going to give you time to appeal, and it won't. I'm going to stand by it. And... <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, so meanwhile, another judge in the in the country came to the opposite mm-hmm. conclusion. So you have towering intellect, uh, <laughs> Alexander Ocasio Cortez, which again, right. I think part of the reason I'm saying if that allegedly James O'Keefe video is true, she's like pretty damn smart off camera but like in public well, no, i think she's very do. intelligent and i've listened to her in mm-hmm. hearings she's no dummy she's just got a really right. bad perspective you know she's a power hungry marxist you know controlling kind of person who's using exactly. her fame and cuteness to her advantage i mean she knows psychology she was a bartender she knows people you know and so uh, no she right. was she was very carefully selected just like obama was selected and all these other folks but there she's no dummy i've never underestimated her intelligence uh, that's not the problem. Right, fact, she's, she's too intelligent. Yeah. But the, well, she's indoctrinated in woke, in woke nonsense. Well, that's you the know? problem. So she, you know, so she. I mean, 
For example, she tries to pass herself off as an indigenous people. She's a Spaniard. Her, her ancestors um, slaughtered the native people of Puerto Rico. You know, the Tano no longer exists because her great-great-great-great-great-great-great-grandfather killed them all. And, um, and killed Muslims, you know, too, by the not... way. <laughs> Didn't the Spanish turn back the Moors, you know, during the Crusades or something like that? Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. so um, you know, but anyway, so she is telling, she is calling on the Biden administration to simply ignore decisions on, on the abortion pill. And, um, you know, which is interesting. Um, I mean, you can appeal it, but Mm -hmm. she's saying just ignore it. Pretend it doesn't exist. And um, she's she's talking about all all, all these things. Now, the thing is, is that the controversy is is the idea that, um, is the idea that uh, the court, you know, Courts never never done this before, you know. Review a, a regulatory agency's decision. Courts, courts do it all the time. Yeah. Um. And and, and, and again, let's especially Trump. <laughs> Didn't they they overruled Trump on on DACA and a bunch of other stuff, saying that Obama did it, so Trump has to do it. There's some really bizarre rulings on his regulations and executive orders. Right. Yeah. Right. But the thing. But the thing is, is that. Um, um, and again, they, like DACA, we, we did, we, it was similar in the sense that there were contradic- there were conflicting court decisions. But that's that's when I mean the Supreme Court is lazy, and they they don't like mm-hmm. to look at things mm-hmm. until several different circuits have considered it, mm-hmm. fleshed it all out, and done all their work for them. Yep. And so by the time it gets to the Supreme Court, they've got. You know, everything has been thought through and briefed and talked about and yada, yada, yada. Um, <clears throat> so uh, so when there are conflicting courts decisions, that's when the Supreme Court says, okay, now it's time for us to, to get involved. Screw so anyway, <laughs> right, but the thing is, is the court, I mean, the thing is, is remember that, put this in context, Congress mm-hmm. makes laws. Nameless, right. nameless, na- nameless, faceless bureaucrats, unelected, do not. Mm-hmm. Congress makes laws. So when an agency, um, hopefully pursuant to the Administrative Procedures Act, or just you know on their own um, arrogance, makes essentially a law, a regulation, um, it, it's on shaky ground to begin with. And of course, it is always subject. Courts have always done this. So, so the left is just, you know, tearing their hair out and losing their minds because because they say, well, the court um, decided that that the abortion pill is, you know, the, the decision making by the the FDA to approve the abortion pill is legally flawed. And, you know, how dare any court, um, you know, interfere with, with uh, the rush to, you know, to, to murder babies? Um, you know, um, bail needs his blood. Um, the, um, but in fact, the opposite is true, is that courts do this constantly. 
because you know they constantly. But, but the left will still make the argument because they don't care. The left will say, "Well, of course, don't do this," even when they do, because most people don't know that they they prey on the ignorance of the general public to make stuff up right. and plant the story in their heads. And then when the the, the conservative America firsters come back and say, "No, that's not true," it's already too late. So whoever gets the story first, it's like okay. you know, if uh, if a criminal and you have yeah. a shootout, right. the criminal right. calls in first. Hello, Jonathan. Uh huh. Oh, yeah. I, I heard you talk. Yeah, yeah, someone's, well, someone's going to the airport. Oh, well, yeah, that, kept, that went over the air. <laughs> so whatever it was, you didn't mute yourself. Well. But, uh, it's okay. No big deal. Um, but the point is that you know, whoever gets the story out first, you know, if the left says, well, courts can't do that. And then the conservatives have to come back and say, well, courts can do that like we're doing now. You know, I don't know how you preempt that kind of stuff. But um, I think that you're, you're well, that's, the best. Courts have always done that. What, what are you people talking about, you idiots? Well, that, that's why we need to educate the public, like with uh, Action Radio. Okay. Um, and um, so, um, you know, make, make sure people understand. So anyway, so that's the thing. But then another judge came out and reached the opposite decision, which, as I said earl- earlier, it's like, well, wait a minute. If judges are ruling by the law and the facts, then how can they, how can two judges come to completely opposite conclusions? And it's like, well, anyone with a brain knows it does matter who the judge is. Um, <laughs> and uh, the, uh, you know, but when you're not allowed to say, you know, truth, you're not allowed to say. Um, so anyway. So, so what are the two uh, rulings? Just, just real quickly, so I know in my mind. So the first judge said, what, the abortion pill was illegal or, or legal? Well, it's Which, not. How, let how me put work? this here and, and, and pull it up. Um, they, they said, they specifically said it's about the process that the FDA went through to approve the drug was flawed. Okay, that's fair enough. Is that the Administrative Procedures Act or, or is that the FDA Act? What, what did they use? Which one? Correct. And, and the underlying, well, one of the big categories uh, under the Administrative Procedures Act is if the underlying law um, authorizes it. So the Administrative Procedures Act sets up a whole bunch of procedural hurdles, but it also requires explicitly that it, that it must, um, that the underlying law must um, uh, authorize the action. Mm-hmm. And so, so here, um, so here, um, you have, you know, the issue is whether or not the, you know, the, the, the approval process of the FDA, mm-hmm. um, followed, followed its own rules, followed the government wide administrative procedures act. And, um, um, and whether or not it, it is it is inconsistent with the underlying laws of the Fed, of specifically for medications. Uh, you know what's interesting so, about this? So, uh, there's no emergency so use authorization. It, oh, go ahead. I'll, I'll bring up that point in a minute. So it's then. not it's not specifically right. It's not specifically that the abortion drug is or is not illegal. It, it's as usual whether the whether the regulatory agencies. Um, properly authorize the drug. Well, that's important because if you don't follow the proper procedures that are outlined by Congress, you could reach the wrong conclusion, which 
they probably did. Well, and it also it also means that outside of those rules, the mm-hmm. nameless, fameless, nameless, faceless bureaucrats elected by nobody um, have no power. You know, so so the FB, the FDA has power to um, to approve drugs. No, they don't, because they only have power if they walk. You know, if they walk the walk, if they walk, with, if they color within the lines, they color outside the law, the lines, they have no power. Now, you could say, well, why does the FDA have to approve drugs in the first place? Because Congress passed the law. Yeah. You know, you could say, well, why should there be such a law at all? And, you know, that's a that's a question. <clears throat> but um, what Congress says is that no drugs are legal unless they're approved. And that mean, and so the the debate is about whether or not the whether or not the the approval process was was um, uh, was done correctly. You know, you notice they never did this for the COVID shot because they knew they never would have gotten it through the process. So they went to an emergency use authorization. They did, they had the Azar uh, the, the HHS secretary declare an emergency. Uh, declare an emergency use authorization so they didn't have to bother with any of the procedures. Now, obviously, there's no abortion emergency in this country, so they couldn't get away that far. They at least knew their limits on that. I'm surprised they didn't, actually, because um, um, they've called this life-saving. But, there, but there's, there's no provision. There's no emergency. There's no, they actually have to go by the procedures. And so that's what's, what's fascinating about this. And they, they didn't, the FDA, as usual, doesn't. You know, because so many times when the FDA approves something, they have to uh, recall it and disapprove it because they screwed up the first time. It shouldn't have been approved. So they don't have a really great track record here. Right. Well, here, here no, you're absolutely I mean, with, with abortion, they could declare an emergency consisting of, but I want to. For, for yeah. the left, you know, but I want to is always an emergency. And um, yeah. But, but so here, for example, um, mm-hmm. the judge... The judge, I don't know how to pronounce anything in this case, Kazim <laughs> Mayark, an appointee of Donald Trump in Amarillo, Texas, mm-hmm. uh, blah, 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 um, <clears throat> embraced wholeheartedly the challenges arguments that the drugs risks weren't adequately considered. Mm-hmm. Then you drop down and it says leading medical organizers have already condemned his opinion and pushed back at the judge's analysis of the safety of medication abortion. Now, do you see the, the sleight of hand? As you know, there's always a lie with the last. There's always a you know, sleight of hand. Right. So he, he's ruling that in the improvement possible process, the drugs risks weren't adequately considered. That's during the mm-hmm. approval process. The leading medical organizations, you know, and every organization has been targeted and taken over by the left because that's what they do. Um, they're <clears throat> the left are parasites. So, you know, as I keep saying, at once, once honorable, once respected organizations, um, you know, have been invaded like, you know, uh, like by parasites um, on, the, on the left. So, so anyway... They say that they condemned his opinion and pushed back at the CNN politics, pushed back at the judge's analysis of the safety of medication abortion. The judge wasn't deciding whether the medication abortion was safe. He was, he was, he was deciding whether or not the FDA proved it. 
Yeah, so that's an entirely different question. That's a that's a huge yeah, and that's that's like saying that uh, oh, it's the old immigrant argument. You know, if you're against illegal aliens, then you're you're anti-immigration. Well, that's that's absurd right. because there's legal and illegal immigration. And here, you know, is is the does the drug do what it's designed to do, which is actually lethal. It's kind of interesting that they're trying to approve a drug, a lethal drug, trying to approve it safely. I mean, it's kind of ironic. Right. Well, the judge repeated the challenges, and, and so uh, because this is this also shows who who is this bozo, mm-hmm. um, Turney Sneed for CNN. Um, the um, the judge the accusation here is the judge repeated the challenger's accusation that the FDA's approval process had been the subject of improper political pressure. Um, okay, Turney, this is what. Judge opinions always do. One side loses, one side wins, and they and they they will restate the arguments that they found persuasive. Mm-hmm. So it's but it's but he he repeated the challengers, meaning the plaintiff, accusation. Well, that's what judges do. They like they look at the two sides and say, okay, I think your argument here is correct, and so mm-hmm. they'll put it in the opinion. Happens all the time. Um, but here is an example of that. You know, this this judge is like a uh, a, a pro life je- zealot. Um, <laughs> what did the other judge say? I'm kind of curious. All right, let's the go in Washington State. Go ahead. Uh-huh. Judge of Tom, U.S. District Judge Thomas <laughs> Owen Rice, yes, uh, in Spokane, Washington, was considering whether abortion pills should be easier to obtain. Which you got to watch it again. And, and, you know, the law is as bad as politics. You always got to watch for the sleight of hand, you know, right. for, the, for the change. They had asked Rice to remove certain restrictions, um, such as risk evaluation and mitigation strategy um, that the FDA had imposed on Mephipristone, I guess it was from. Um, so, so they wanted to go the other extreme. But uh-huh. notice how it's not the same question. So when you say when they, when the media is reporting that you've got two judges who decided separate things, you have to carefully look. Well, what actually did he decide? Is it actually uh-huh. the same question? Yeah. Um, so um, Rice um, <clears throat> this makes no sense. Rice granted a request the blue states made that the FDA be ordered to keep the drugs on the market. The ruling only applies in the plaintiff's states and the District of Columbia. So the question in that lawsuit is a different question. They, he, they want to expand the use of methoperistone, including removing some of the safeguards of, of you know, the, the insurances of safety. Mm-hmm. Um, and the judge, the judge didn't go there. I mean, because you, you also got to watch it in a, in a lawsuit, there's lots of intermediate steps that are not the final decision. So, you know, they might try to go for summary judgment saying that, you know, we've, we've proven our case outside. There's no need for a trial. And the judge might say, nah, I'm not going to jump to the conclusions on that. Uh, we're going to, you know, I'm not going to short circuit the litigation. And then there's all these rulings on injunctions and things like that. And, and so the, the media will report those 
as having some great significance when it's really just they're really just steps along the road, but the lawsuit is still going on. It hasn't been really decided yet. Hmm. So well, let's, he, let's, he, he, I want to try to make this as simple as possible for people to understand because I know we can get into the complex stuff. So one judge is saying that the FDA didn't follow their procedures and thereby they cannot approve this drug. Another judge is saying that we have to make these drugs more available um, because of his, does he say there's an a right to an abortion or a right to an abortion drug? Well, let's, let's see if we can break it down to some really simple components so people can go, oh, yeah, well, that's, no, that, that, that's it. It's, that's it, except for the Texas judge's decision is, is, is the final result of the, the, the lawsuit. And the okay. one in Washington State is just is, is maintaining the status quo while the lawsuit continues. Okay, so one judge says while the lawsuit's going on, <clears throat> the drug is available, and the other judge says while the lawsuit's going on, the drug is not available. Well, no, the Texas case is over. Oh, okay. See, so I'm the getting final, now. The final decision <laughs> of the Texas, Texas case. Okay, so how do these things get enforced anyway? When a judge makes a, a ruling or an opinion, you know, how does it get enforced? Do they just broadcast that this happened and people just go along with it, or you know, how do they do it? Well, they. That that's that's the eternal question for the judiciary, as some famous justices have said at the Supreme Court that um, you know the, the the courts have no army and no you know they that's that's why they're so jealous of the fact that the American people might realize that they're a bunch of fools because <laughs> you know they'll if they lose respect you know if the American people lose respect. Mm-hmm. For these obviously ridiculous actions by federal judges, mm-hmm. um, then they'll do what Alexandria Ocasio Cortez is recommending. They'll they'll will start ignoring them. Well, um, this this would be a good time to get into our jury bill. I've got I posted for you. I can read it right now. I can uh, we can do it. But I really, right. do, you want to take a break for a minute because we got the next hour. If you want to stick around, no. Nope. But I want to I want to get oh, into. Oh, I didn't uh, know that. But it's up yeah, to you. yeah. You we Dorothy's not here, so. Uh, if you want to expand no, I mean, this, actually, you, go ahead. When you when you say take a break, I assume you have something recorded you want to play. Well, I was gonna, well, I was I, I always have my commercials that I play. You don't hear them because they usually play them either before or after you come on, uh, so you've missed them. But what I wanted to give you do a chance to do go check your I Facebook missed the commercials. Beg your pardon? Yeah, you 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 even heard I them. I missed the commercials. That's yeah. terrible. Sorry. Go back and listen okay. to your shows. <laughs> I play okay. them. I play them all the time. I, they're in the show notes usually when I when I take a break. So I've got a couple for them here. I, I did my my first one's my book. Uh, my my local automotive person is helping me out uh, on Grace Care, and this time we'll do uh, uh, our shooting range and a couple other things, and then I got to play our, our our what I call our surf promo. Anyway, so yeah, but I want to give you a chance to take a look at the bill. So if you go to your your Facebook Messenger. Uh, it's there. It's on your Facebook page, and I've got it printed out right here in my notes in front of me. So this is the this is the bill. It's a new jury instruction. In fact, Jonathan kind of inspired me. So late Saturday night, I think I was, it was a, was it Saturday or Friday? One of the nights I was up really late, like one in the morning. You know, writing this stuff up, going, "This is kind of cool. I really like this." So for anybody that wants to look it up as you're as we're going here, go to writeyourlaws.com, and you want to go to um, uh, legislation on the menu bar. And then you want to click down all proposed laws. And I'm trying to find it myself because I put it, I'm trying to use more, more windows here so that I don't uh, um, overburden my, my computer with stuff. Anyway, so Jonathan's got it. Let me see if I can find it. Oh, I've got it right here. So the actual title of the bill. Go ahead. 
Jonathan? No, I didn't understand what you sent me in Messenger. Oh, no, don't worry about that. So just go to uh, writeyourlaws.com. All juries before deliberating will receive a Miranda-type mandated instruction from all judges. Actually, the best place to go, go to your Facebook page. Right on your Facebook page, you'll see the text of just the new rights, not the whole history, all the other stuff that's in the bill. It's pretty complicated. It's one of my earlier ones. But if you just go to the part, in fact, I can tell you on your Facebook page exactly where it is. Let's get a new window here real quickly. Yeah. This is live radio, folks. Don't you like how we do things? <laughs> well, <laughs> let me, let me, I don't know if you want to take a break now or later. That's up to you. But I want to give you a chance um, to read the bill. I want to give you a chance to read this. Or we can just go over it. Well, let me – I think – I mean, most of what I'm, I'm going to say is more generic than – I mean, it sounds like – I remember what you said you were going to write, and, and it sounds great. But I, but I think I, I'd like to make some, some general points, which are okay. like – I'm not sure I can stay through 11 precisely because um, well, in a case – Let's go right into it then. The, the judge – well, let me get set up here. Okay. Um, we're the judge in the judge in the Proud Boys case has spent several days, or you know, broken up, um, you know, half days and things, mm-hmm. uh, arguing about what the jury instructions are going to be in the Proud Boys, and the the jury instructions are like the DNA. Mm-hmm. It's like if you you get a bunch of laypersons, and if you've ever, you know, I. I I think some juries are pretty good, but if you go on Twitter, you'll mm-hmm. see that a lot of people are pretty dumb when it comes to the, well, not dumb. They're, they've been misinformed about, um, about, yeah, they're, they're on they're, they're, They may be smart, but uninformed when it comes to um, the law. They've got, people have all, this is one of the problems with being a lawyer. Why I'm kind of glad I'm not doing that anymore right now, but um they, uh, um, they've got, everyone has their own do-it-yourself ideas about the law. So if you send a case to the jury, they don't know what to do with it. You know, they'll come up with their own crazy ideas. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the jury instructions are incredibly important to tell them what law they're supposed to follow. Now, you've raised the issue of, like, are they bound to follow those instructions? You know, well, that's a, a philosophical legal decision, but at least at least the judge should tell them what the law is and what how they're supposed to analyze the, the evidence. And, and so, so <clears throat> if the if the jury instructions are wrong, you you can almost guarantee that the result will be wrong. Mm-hmm. And so we're, they're fighting like in every one of these cases, and and you know. To quote my sister in a different context, you mean there isn't just a standard jury instruction for, like, if there's, a, if there's seditious conspiracy, why is every judge coming up with their own jury instructions mm-hmm. for each case? Why are they coming up yeah. with instructions at all? <laughs> That's my question. Well, they could just, yeah, I mean, the jury could just read the law. Mm-hmm. They could just put the statute in front of them. Mm-hmm. And if the jury, and, and if the law is, and if the law is useless, you know, hopelessly confusing and, and, you know, mind-numbingly ridiculous, then, you know, the jury could say, well, to hell with this. Um, but, uh, you know, so, so right now, 
by noon, there's a, there's a deadline that I may, may try to help with on, on a cha- you know, possibly changing one of the jury instructions. Um, and again, the problem is, well, why isn't this, you know, why isn't this uh, established, you know, why isn't this standard? You know, wh- why, why, are there, why are we doing this? Uh, so anyway, so the thing is... Okay, some background. We need some background noise from one of your lines. I don't know if it's Pianchi or, or you, Jonathan. I'm hearing lots of stuff in the background. I, I don't now, know. Now it's gone. Okay, good. Just want to check. I want people to be able to hear clearly. All right, tell you what. So, so when you're ready, I will go over individually the, the, the new clauses I came up with based on your recommendations from last week. And then you can further modify right. and let me know uh, at some point what you think. No, go ahead. Why don't you read it for everybody? All right. So... The original one was a very simple declaration um, that uh, here's, here's, here's where I started, uh, and I put this in, in a comment so I'd have it for later. So the original, the original declaration was the, the idea that, uh, uh, that judges are instructing jurors. They have no idea what they're doing. They're being, basically, the, the case is being decided for them. So I wrote, uh, I said, so simply, I said, this instruction will be given to all jurors. You have the right to judge the laws as well as the facts of the case, and if you find the laws unjust or unconstitutional, you have the right, power, and duty to nullify the law or laws and can acquit or find not guilty on that basis alone. And then Jonathan said, well, what about, you know, and we went from there. So I, I think I've answered what, what about, but that was, a, that was, a, that was the basis. In other words, the, the, the whole point struck the jury is that they could judge the laws because there are jury oaths. There are like these loyalty oaths that says you specifically won't judge the laws. I mean, the judges have done everything possible to take the law away from the people and give it to themselves. And that's the problem I had. And I saw in courts when I was up for jury duty. So that's what I came up with. And you came up with a bunch of other ideas. So, that, okay, well, let me, let me just go wild and see what I can come up with. And so let's start with. So here's the new proposed law. Juries, and I'll read each one of these individually because there's about 10 of them. Juries, before the trial begins and again before deliberating, will receive this mandated instruction from all judges. Here's the first one. The purpose of the jury as representatives of the people before the government is to judge the government itself in every action, decision, opinion, ruling, and finding you make throughout the course of this trial, and this shall be a part of the official record of the trial along with the transcript and may be used for proceedings after the trial. Okay, a couple things. First of all, um, as is correct, we'll note that this is, these are concerning criminal trials. There are jur- mm-hmm. proposed jury instructions for civil cases, and there are, there are for criminal cases. You're mentioning the government, so this is assuming that we're talking about a criminal prosecution, and, and that's, a good, you know, that's perfectly fine. Um, yeah, well, the thing we, can, we can do a separate one for civil, and we should do a separate one for grand juries, or I can add that to this, you know, of, of yeah. different instructions for, for civil. That, that's where I need your help. In the problem case, in the keeper's okay. case, we fought to the nail to get right. a copy of how the grand jury was instructed, and they wouldn't give it to us. Yeah, see, that's, that's why we need a separate grand jury uh, one. Uh, Pianchi, do you have a comment on that, or do you want me to continue? Continue. All right, so the second one, I think it's simple. Well, that's the big one. Wait, Jonathan? wait, wait. You say all judges. Now, I know this is ridiculous, but you should say the judge in all cases. Because you're not saying that all judges have to, you know, in a chorus, um, say, say those things. 
Oh, okay. Uh, well, let me just read it again. It says, juries before the trial begins and again before deliberating will receive this mandated instruction from all judges. All right, I see what you're saying. Or, or, so tell you what, why don't you make uh, – as you uh, – By the judge in, in every case. By the judge in each case. Okay. I'll make a little note for by the judge. See, we're legislating, folks. This is my favorite thing to do on the show. In each case. Now let's call that number one. Okay, so the next one is you have the right to demand a change of venue if the current venue presents an unacceptable condition for a fair trial. The jury can demand that. Wouldn't that be interesting? Next one. You have, I, don't, I don't get that because they would be saying that they – well, I mean, it's, it's good to – I mean, it doesn't hurt, but – Okay, we can always toss that one out. Yeah. So this, there well, this is know. a bunch of stuff I wrote down, and we can we can discuss each one. I mean, none of these are set in stone. Believe me, I'm just I just thought it was an interesting idea. If the, if the jury could say, wait a minute, and of course that means that jury might not be on that trial. So look, you can't you can't hold a trial here. It's not going to work. Um, right. I thought that was interesting. Doesn't mean they have to do it. I just said they could, but no one's ever thought about a jury changing the venue. It's only been the judge. Here's another one. You have the right to force the judge or any other government official to recuse themselves if you find a conflict of interest. Well, that would, that's more than an instruction. That's a fundamental change in the law, but I, I don't disagree with it. Okay, then we, may have to, uh, then we may have to change how we do this. Next one I wrote down, you have the right to judge the laws as well as the facts of the case. This goes back to my original. And if you find the laws unconstitutional, you have the right, power, and duty to nullify the law or laws and can acquit or find not guilty on that basis. We've already talked about that. That's the first one. So let me get you to the next one, which is more involved. If you find the laws unjust, unfair, unworkable, prejudiced, oppressive, exceeding of legitimate government power, or on any other basis you declare, you have the right, power, and duty to acquit or find not guilty because the laws themselves never should have existed. So that's an extension of unconstitutional to a bunch of other categories of law. Right. And, and, and can I, if, I can, if I can jump back yeah. <clears throat> to your first one, where you, uh-huh. you say, first of all, when you say judge the law, I think that I think you're, you're, you're using a jargon because we're, we're judges have said that, um, that the average person might not understand. So you might want to just explain that a little bit more. Okay. And then also, also it adds a category of inapplicable. Because I think one of the things, in fact, one of the main things that's happened with January 6th is that laws are being used in ways that they've never been used before, and there clearly was never intended for that purpose. So they're being used, they're being used in ways that are obviously not mm-hmm. what the law was intended to say. Okay. So inapplicable, you know, because uh, if, the, if the prosecutor says, you know, you have to convict if this law, if this law, in fact, it's, it's what's going on right now between now and noon, um, uh, after, after a court of appeals decision, going to be appealed. It, um, it's like, um, and it says, well, it says this. And you go, well, yeah, but that's not what the Congress meant. Mm. And the prosecutors are in, you know, engaging in adventurism and, and um, 
you know, trying to find new ways to expand laws to say things they don't say. And then it becomes a precedent, and then the precedent is, um, you know, binding. So, uh, so in, I would say inapplicable or, you know, that kind of thing. So, you know, outside okay. of the, outside, I mean, because the, the jury could say, this is a perfectly fine law, but you're using it wrong. Yeah, no, that makes sense. I'm just going to add to the categories. I don't want to go into the the website right now. I could. It's, it's still it's still open, but I, I could cause all kinds of other problems while that's I'm on there. Jackie? That's not the responsibility of the jury to say. The law is the law. That's what well, I mean, unless they want to nullify it. <clears throat> but the, the law is is the law. You, the judge is supposed to apply the law. Madison said they had no, they had no force, and and that they had no. What did Madison say? Well, yeah, I mean the judge, the judge, you know, the the the, the, ju- the judge is supposed to say no, not to the prosecutor, mm-hmm. not just sit there with his hand, hands in his pockets. Um, but you know, for example, right now the the court of appeals decided that obstruction. Because the, the statute obstruction of a of a an official proceeding, everything around there and the legislative history and everything about it says that it's about it was about Arthur Anderson, um, you know, destroying documents, and yet they're using it now in ways that have nothing to do with what with, with if you look at the surrounding aspects of the law and everything. And its purpose, and like that, is clearly not about what happened on January 6th. And one judge, Judge Nichols, threw out the cases against three defendants on that ground. This is not what the law says. And so the government appealed it. And the Court of Appeals, in a confusing muddle, um, uh, overturned the Judge Nichols and said that, that they can do it. So, so the question, you know, so it would be nice if we could, if we knew what the law is, but sometimes it's not so easy. That's what, that, that's what I'm, that's what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. Uh, you know, for example, well, let me give you an example. It's like, so it's illegal to harass somebody. So a mother harasses her, her daughter. When are you going to get married and get me, give me grandchildren? <laughs> Um, that's not what the law the law means. You know, the, the the daughter might say you're harassing me about getting married, but that's not. But a law against harassment, you know, that, that's outside of the that's outside of the scope of what the law is about. Well, is it a law? Or is it rules? Because you got two Tennessee black Tennessee legislators, uh, they obstructed the proceedings of the legislature. I think they they led a re- insurrection myself. And look what's going on with that. People are hollering racism because the uh, legislature is about to vote to uh, expel them. They should be right. expelled. Yeah, it's different when the, when the Democrats do it. So, mm-hmm. I mean, so if Merrick Garland were to prosecute them the same, under the same statute in the same way, there's no difference. 
but the, the difference is it's, they're never going to be charged. They're never going to be prosecuted. And so the public won't realize that, oh, wait a minute, this is the exact same thing. So it is the same thing, but you're never going to hear about it because, you know, they're Democrats. So that's, you know, they have, they have Democrat Party privilege. To, uh, anyway, let me sorry, get to, go ahead. That's right. Let me get you another one here. It says you have the right to access the Constitution, look up jury nullification cases, and any case law you request around laws in question, regardless whether or not they have been introduced in the proceedings. So in other words, I want the jury to be much more active in the process. That was actually your idea. But it might be for grand jury. Okay. What do you think? Well, the thing jury is being a, that it, uh-huh. there's two, two possibilities there. One, uh-huh. one is like the courts have usually been very hostile to the idea of juries doing their own investigation. But, you know, so you could you could do that by saying that they can demand that information and then everybody knows they're doing it. Like we okay. want to see this, this, and then, you know, all the attorneys know what's happening, you know, or you could simply um, uh, overturn, you know, the, the prohibition on them doing their own investigation independently. Okay, so what would you call that? I'm just, uh, so I'm just, I'm just, I'm just saying, give you two choices. Call what? You have two choices. You know, what's your preference? There, what, independent investigation, or what was the other one? It is that they could, they could, if they want to, well, you could actually, actually, it's probably easiest to, rather than have run on sentences, to add <laughs> what you just read and say, um, the, the, the jury may may request copies of laws or information or research through the judge um, informing um, you know a, a, and the and all parties will be informed of what the jury was looking I mean because because you could have the jury and, and I frankly I could see the argument that they should be able to make their decision and you know uh, I'm not going to tell you what I looked at. Yeah, you know, I that's, so. for me. that's for me to, to know, you know, because I'm because I'm the voice of the community. And, um, <clears throat> you know, if I think I want to read something on the news on the news or I want to, you know, read the Constitution, I don't have to tell you that I'm doing that. Can juries ask for that? Can juries bring any material uh, into a trial? Can they bring uh, in a copy of the Constitution or things like that? No. See, that's a problem. Yeah, okay. Right. So we, this, is, this is going to take some work to, to do this. I just wanted to put a bunch of ideas and see what we could keep and what we can't. Well, it's, not, it's not that bad. Yeah. I just think you might add it. You could add no, one sentence just, after. I, I, listen, believe after me, I want, I want the additions. I want, this is why I brought it up here on the show so that we can all talk about it. Uh, and then I have the – here's the disclaimer clause. Well, the, uh, the, the – you know, just in case the judge override clause. Is that you have the right duty and obligation to ignore any instructions from the judge, prosecutors, or any government official to the contrary of these rights and powers. Because I'm sure the judges say, ah, that's not true. You can't do that. We're going to tell you what you can do. Right. Well, if this is a statute, mm-hmm. um, then the judge can't 
you know, that the, the, what you're saying is true. The, the, um, uh, the statute would preempt the judge's um, desires of what he wants to say. Okay. So I may not need that clause then. That's good to know. Here's one. You have the right as representatives of the people to instruct the judge as representative of the government, your subordinate and servant in matters in the case before oh, you. Okay, but I don't, I don't understand what that means. I don't either. Yeah. I just thought it'd be an interesting idea if the, well, let me see if I can uh, explain a little better. I'll try to make these, these short. So the judge is always giving the jury's instructions, but what if the juries themselves say, wait a minute, <clears throat> you know, what if, uh, or maybe there should, there should be some kind of, uh, I don't know, negotiated instruction or jury, judges. I mean, I remember, I've, judges would tell me outrageous things. I mean, I've only been for jury duty a couple of times. I've never actually gotten to serve just because I, the judges so disgusted me. I, open my big mouth and said things, but they usually, I remember the first judge in particular, you cannot you specifically said, you cannot judge the laws. You can only judge the facts and the evidence in in the case. And we will tell you what, and I will tell you what the law says. I'm like, wait a minute. Why, why can't I read the law for myself? You know, so I'm wondering if the jury, maybe it should be a clause that the, the jury can reject um, judicial instructions. If they find those instructions to be incompatible with the constitution and law. I have, to think, I have to think about that one. Yeah. Okay, we think, we'll think about that one. So I'll put, uh, think about. So here's one more here. Actually, a couple more. You have the right to call or recall your own witnesses after the trial dur- or uh, during deliberation. You can request and examine evidence and request further expert testimony and expert information. So that goes to back to what you were saying before of jury investigation. So we should probably just get a, a clause that actually talks about that specifically of what juries can do beyond the trial itself. Or do you want juries doing things beyond the trial? You got more experience in this. The concerns about a jury doing an investigation Mm -hmm. are traditionally things where the jury is doing something that nobody knows about. Like the jury decides (laughs) <laughs> to go to the scene of the crime and look for it themselves, which mm-hmm. they can do actually, you know, they can oh, ask for a, a jury view, but they can't, but, but the concern is, is that they're just taking it upon themselves to be an amateur sleuth. So if, if on the other hand, um, some judge, very few judges do, but some will, they, after the parties have questioned a witness, the judge will say, well, I have a few questions. Very few judges do that, but they can, and I think they should. Mm-hmm. Okay. And the jury could do it too. The jury could send a note up to the judge and say, I, you know, I want you to ask, ask the, the witness the following questions. And, um, but the difference is that would happen in court, and it wouldn't be surreptitious. It would be out in the open that, the, ju- the jury can ask whatever they want, but everybody knows what's going on as opposed to someone is at home that night doing their own internet research. Right. No, I want to have it all out in the open and all, all about board here. So that makes, that makes perfect sense. So if we had, if we changed one to say the juries can ask questions during the trial, would it be just the witnesses or of any, I guess it could be anybody. Well, I, I don't, yeah, I don't, um, I mean, I don't, 
I don't know when it, you'd want to limit that. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I don't know. Should it be? Should it be before or after the closing? Should they be able to ask during? I mean, because I think the, I think deliberation is sort of meaningless if if the jury can't you know talk and then say, hey, you know what? We need to go X, Y, or Z. Okay. Uh, I, you know, I think. Um, so I, I don't know when during the trial is appropriate. It's just that it's not it, it's not um, one one juror doing it by themselves in the shadows. So I don't. I, but I'm not suggesting when what part of the trial they should do it in. Okay. <clears throat> well, maybe if, you know, maybe if you have time between now and next week to take a look at this and maybe rewrite some and, and put some. Uh, ideas in here that um, it's just, and like I say, I kept the original just in case we want to go back to the original. Last one I wrote well, is you have the right to write a report and explanation of the verdict, including evidence, opinions, conduct of the attorneys, the judge, and any other government personnel during the course of the trial. That I think is really important that the jury should be able to write something and include it in the record because they really can't right now. Can they, they can't say anything at all. Um, or can they, can the jury write I, a report? Oh, this is the, you have the right to write no. a report and. No, I think Hello? that's, I think that would be, I mean, that might be, that might be what you're talking about, about, I mean, I, that might be part of what you're saying about instructing the judge. You might say, they might say, here's, you know, here's what we, we think, we don't think the law says that, you know, we're not, you know, they, or whatever they, they could, I don't know. Okay. No, that makes sense. I mean, how about uh, this? Yeah. How about this? There's okay. a, there's a kind of jury. It's called a special verdict, where the jury doesn't just give guilty, not guilty. The jury decides specific steps along the way. And I think you know that's probably appropriate at any time. So you can say. You know, that, you know, and you should probably instruct the jury that whether, because right now, the parties have to ask for it. The mm-hmm. judge almost always denies it because it might mm-hmm. actually lead to justice, and you can't have that. Um, <laughs> the, um, you know, so, uh, um, you know, but but instructing the jury that they have a right unilaterally to um, give a decision on each component of their final decision. Uh, I'm not sure to say, but you know, you know, what I'm saying. saying so did, does that make sense to you? Because it's sort of a um, sort of not yet. I got I got to think this through. I think we should probably take these ten and break them down into about three. <laughs> See if we can make this a lot simpler. So you said the so special verdicts where the jury can. Do they give their evaluation along the way? Is there a written report? How, what exactly happens in a special verdict? I, th- I think I missed. I didn't quite understand the part. Is, you know, let let let's say there are five pieces of the. Um, there are there are five pieces of um, you know that that add up to guilt or not guilt. And instead of just giving a, a, um, a summary, guilty, not guilty, the, the, the jury would 
would issue a decision on each of the on each of the specific um, you know e- each of the specific components so like if they're saying <clears throat> if they're saying uh, that you have to you know Berg Berg well I don't know it's like I can't think of a good example off the top of my head, mm-hmm. um, but but you could like every every sub step that they may think is important, they can they can issue a decision which would have the effect of saying, well, why did you find these people not guilty? And you could say, well, I thought that you know I thought that the the following you know seven things were are true. But the eighth thing was not true. We were not convinced. Therefore, we we um, uh, issued a verdict of not guilty. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I always think in my classic case is the um, is the Second Amendment issue of uh, someone's caught carrying a gun in California, where the Constitution says they have a right to do so, uh, and the law says you can't. And then the jury says, okay, we find the person not guilty, you know, even though they broke that the was- law. Uh, they follow the Constitution, which was supreme to the law. Therefore, the law itself is the problem. The law is wrong, and this is this is where all this kind of gets based around. So how can so we need the jury to be able because the jury would be instructed by the judge. No, you, you you have to follow the law, but the law is unconstitutional. It doesn't matter. It's the law. I'm instructing you. You know the law is just. I say it's just when clearly well, it's not. I mean that would be, so that's that would the scenario. Right. That would be one example and. <clears throat> If they did that, you know, up front and out in the open, the, you know, then it, 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 if they say, well, we think the law is not valid, says, well, I'm telling you it is. Well, we're telling you it's not, and if you want to appeal it, you can go up and appeal it. But what we need to do is have juries know that. See, the biggest problem is the juries don't know that. The judges know that. Correct. That's why they, tell, that's why they lie to them. So basically right. I want to uh, condense this down into maybe two or three or four things that juries could go, oh, I didn't know I could do that, and mandate that the judge tell them what they can do. Now, as far as the other, you know, it, it actually makes sense that the judge, a good judge, explaining the law to people and how it's been used in practice might be a good thing. So I don't want to stop judges from making instructions. But what I want to do, oh, back on. We've got sirens. Sounds like a dentist yep. drill. What are you guys doing back there? I want to ask. No, it's um, siren. I don't know. Oh, okay. Sound like a sound like a dentist's office. Anyway, but what I want to do is is create a, a balance because right now the juries have no power, even though they represent the people. They're supposed to be supreme to the judge. Now I don't think I've quite worded this well because I just wrote a bunch of stuff down. But that's how a lot of our legislation starts with you know rough ideas, and then we gradually focus in. And when we get it right, it's like, oh, that's pretty good. Let's keep that. <laughs> you know, that's why I like to put uh, different versions of bills in comments so that we have a record of where we were. But if we can get to a place where the, the jury can say, okay, you know, the judge is wrong, you know, they, they should, but they have to know that. This is why it has to be like a Miranda thing. You know, you have the right to remain silent. You know, anything you say can and will be used against you. You know, the, judge, the jury needs to know you have the right to judge the laws. And the judge doesn't have the right to tell you you can't. Maybe, maybe it can be just that simple. You know, you can, uh, if the laws themselves are wrong or unjust... You know, then the you know, defendant may be guilty of breaking a law, but you can't be breaking you can't be guilty of breaking an unjust law or an unconstitutional law. 
So I don't know. Right. It's, it's, I want to make it more That's than it funny. was, but I don't want to make it overly complicated and have it be confusing and add stuff that we shouldn't have. Because, you know, we're trying to guess what might happen in trial. Of course, you know, you never know where that's going to go because that's why we have common law. Well, that, that's the, I mean, that's the only, I think, legitimate reason for a judge to um, decide, you know, to, to write individualized um, jury instructions for a particular case is, you know, let's say that the government charge, you know, charge someone with, you know, violating the laws of gravity. Uh-huh. And there's, there's no evidence presented in the trial to support that. The jury instructions should, um, should um, conf- you know, be adjusted to reflect the fact that, you know, you, you can't find them guilty of that because there was, no, there was insufficient evidence of it. So it's not relevant, um, you know. But they could they could do that. Yeah, I just want to how you we know, accommodate, law, you know, how we accommodate yeah, I mean, the jurors. Should, that, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, the law shouldn't change from one case to another, so the jury instructions shouldn't change, other than whether they're not relevant. But you know, but like for example, if the if the if the if the, if the jury reads the law. Mm-hmm. And then they read the jury instructions and say, wait a minute, you know, you, this doesn't track the law. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, the, it'd be interesting if we had something that, that says that the, 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 the judge shall not instruct on the law, but shall present the law. Well, isn't that, what the, isn't that what the attorneys are supposed to do? Are they supposed to explain in the course of the trial? Isn't that their job? No, not exactly. I mean, oh, okay. the... They're, they're, <clears throat> I mean, they give the opening statement and the closing argument, but during the trial, they're not supposed to argue, meaning they're not supposed to explain what this means. Um, hmm. So anyway. This is going to be complex. Okay. Well, we can leave it there. And... Uh... Well, I think I'll, I think what you guys go back to work. I probably yeah, I'll go back to work. Yeah, I probably it. need to go back to work on on uh, on um, helping write some jury instructions. Um, yeah, like on on this decision by the by the court of appeals, the judge asks asks, does this decision change our position? And so I want to contribute some issues about whether or not whether or not this this modifies the jury instructions they've been hashing out. But I mean they spend an enormous amount of time on 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 jury instructions. Now you're supposed to presumptively use the standard ones um, for which you have to pay uh, you have to buy the red book for like between three thousand and four thousand dollars. What? Um but it's got it's yeah. got uh, templates for for all kinds of different cases of which instructions to use. Yes, and they're different. For, they're different for each of the thirteen districts, which is stupid. Um, and um, you know, and you have to. Uh, I mean, you know, so the law. Um, anyway, so having them, having them, um, having them. 
you know, stat, having them in the statute would would be a good thing. Um, okay. So, anyway. so I think I'm on the right track, and I'll, I'll modify based on what we talked about this week, and I'll have something for you next week. So let me see what I can yeah, do. Yeah, I don't, I don't see the – you know, I – my mother used to always, you know, write sentences that were like a third of a page. And I just got into the habit of, um, you know, I, uh, I just get into the habit of um, breaking up long run on sentences. I, I don't, I don't, I don't think there's a benefit of trying to squash complicated things down into, you know, two or three or four topics. I think having them, having them separated out is, is just fine, and I think it's a good a good thing. So okay, um, well let me see what I can do with it this week, and uh, or if you want to try and write some stuff too, um, but I think we definitely have to standardize the instructions. Um, otherwise, the jurors aren't going to know at least to give them their powers, at least to tell them what they can do, and because they have no clue, and that's what our, that's what the whole FIJA, the Fully Informed Jury Association, is all about. You know, and that's one of our biggest problems, you know, and the, the other problem is they don't pay jurors enough. You know, you're weeding out the people that work for a living, <laughs> that have a brain, that are capable of doing stuff. No, it's true. They don't, don't have the time for a six-week trial. They should just make the same. In fact, I might put this in there, you know, I might put a big dollar sign here, dollar for juries. I always figured that people up to making – I mean, the Cowboys case, yeah. which is not even California, you know, California has ridiculously long – slow trials, but um, yep. it's probably going to end up going to three months. Mm-hmm. Well, so, a jury should make um, the same amount as their regular salary up to, I don't know, 50000 75000 pick a number. You know, at a certain point, it doesn't matter. They can afford to be you know, around for a while, but people should make up to, because most people make about 35000 That's the average salary. So they should make you know, above that a certain amount so that most people are not going to suffer any financial loss for serving on a jury. Then you get better jurors. This is the number one reason people don't want to serve on a jury. They can't afford the time. Right. Absolutely. All okay. right. Um, Let's leave it there. Can Let's I um, next week? Can, yeah. Can Can you Yeah. Can you uh, take over and and um, Of course. You know, talk about controversial things while I uh, <laughs> get back to work. Yeah, absolutely. I always do. At least I try yeah. to. <laughs> I, I, I guess I got a couple. Well, I got to figure it out. I got a bunch of articles that I can go for the last half hour. Or so trust me, there'll be plenty to talk about. Yeah. Thank you, sir. Because I'm and, uh, half an hour. Enjoy the, All right. Talk to you later. <laughs> enjoy the Sorry. commercials. All right. Uh, All right. <laughs> here we go. All right. So back in just a little bit, and I'll figure out some article for for the rest of our show. Here at Action Radio, we are looking for sponsors. We have 30 and 60 second spots available for your announcements. And we have three minute live call-ins to talk about your products and services available. Action Radio is the next evolution beyond talk radio. Join us and let us help your business evolve. Think about being a sponsor of the future and not just a listener and help us help your business grow as you help us plunge headlong into breaking new ground here on Action Radio every day. Hello, this is Greg Penglis for our newest shooting range here in Milton, Florida. Stand your ground. My friend Jason Myers and crew are creating an incredible facility for our city. 
Stand Your Ground is located at 6632 Elva Street. The phone number is 850-789-1776. Their email is standyourground1776 at gmail.com. Here you'll find either in process or already going an indoor shooting range, axe throwing, archery, a rage room, self-defense classes, concealed carry weapons classes, security license training, paintball, a full-service gun store, and 24-7 online ordering. So come on down or contact them by phone, email, or website and learn how you can best stand your ground. This is Greg Penglis for Strike Force, your source for pure energy. Strike Force is a concentrated energy drink that turns a half liter of your favorite beverage into an energy drink. You make your energy drink yourself. Action Radio is an affiliate of Strike Force, so our listeners get a 20% discount. All you do is add our code WYL to the discount code window at checkout. WYL comes from our website, Write Your Laws. So, you can get your energy drink, a 20% discount, and help Action Radio change the relationship of we the people to our government. Not bad. Strike Force is at StrikeforceEnergy.com. That's StrikeforceEnergy.com. Start your engines. Action Radio. Part of the ADHD Radio Network. The ultimate free speech zone. We the people give our consent to be governed through writing the laws by which we are governed and have the power through juries to nullify the laws by which we do not consent to be governed. At Action Radio, we don't report the news. We are the news. Every other show reports what has happened. We talk about what can happen. From the questions no one has thought to ask, to the answers no one has thought to consider, to the actions no one has dared to take. That is Action Radio. All right, so we're back for the last 25 minutes of the show. It's been a little weird today, a little tedious, a little you know, nuts and bolts working through legislation, but uh, that's kind of what we do here. And so, uh, you know, it's not the, the, the fast-paced, lightning, two-minute, you know, we, li- we like to think about stuff here. And so that's why uh, things are a little different. Plus, I'm going through a big reevaluation. Uh, I think I want to get, like I say, more folks that object to uh, this, that, uh, that want the Marxism, want the oppression, want the, uh, the racism, want everything else. I want to get them on the show so we can do that. But also, I'm going to have different guests. And I want to get on some shows myself. I want to be on Tucker Carlson. I want to be on some of these bigger shows so that I can get the message out for what we're doing here. So we're going to do some, going through some changes, going through some uh, – and this happens all the time on the show. I'm always looking for, for new ideas, new ways to do what we do better. And so that it's not the same old, same old. All right. So I found an article in Time. And Piaki's on the line, too. Please feel free to join me at any time. Time Magazine, not one of your best sources, but uh, you never know. Occasionally, they get lucky. This is an article I found. Uh, freedom means something different to liberals and conservatives. Here's how the definition split and why that still matters. Now, I thought this was interesting. This is from uh, Annaline de Dijin, D-I-J-A-N, August 25th, 2020. 
so not too long ago, a couple of years ago, she, uh, Andalyn, I don't know if so male or female, anyway, should I say they? Give her pronouns. The author <laughs> says, we tend to think of freedom as an emancipatory ideal with, and with good reason. Throughout history, the desire to be free inspired countless marginalized groups to challenge the rule of political and economic elites. Liberty was the watchword of the Atlantic revolutionaries who, at the end of the 18th century, toppled autocratic kings, arrogant elites, and, in Haiti, slaveholders, thus putting an end to the old regime. In the 19th and 20th centuries, black civil rights activists and feminists fought for the expansion of democracy in the name of freedom, while populists and progressives struggled to put an end to the economic domination of workers. Okay, this is obviously a liberal perspective. It's Time magazine, but let's see what they say. Says while these groups had different objectives and ambitions, sometimes putting them at odds with one another, they all agreed that their main goal, freedom, required enhancing the people's voice in government. When the late Representative John Lewis called on Americans to, quote, let freedom ring, he was drawing on this tradition. But there is another side to the story of freedom as well. Over the past 250 years, the cry for liberty has also been used by conservatives to defend elite interests. In their view, True freedom is not about collective control over government. It consists in the private enjoyment of one's life and goods. From this perspective, preserving freedom has little to do with making government accountable to the people. Democratically elected majorities, conservatives point out, pose just as much or even more of a threat to personal security and individual right, especially the right to property as rapacious kings or greedy elites. (laughs) This means that freedom can best be preserved by institutions that curb the power of those majorities or simply by shrinking the fear of government as much as possible. Why, this is what I thought was interesting. So it's obviously a liberal perspective, but they've got, uh, so they're breaking it up into freedom for, for the left uh, is about controlling government. Uh, freedom for the, for the right is limiting government. This is interesting. And so I thought, you know, like I say, Pianchi, feel free to join in here. Uh, I shall continue. Since this particular way of thinking about freedom was pioneered in the late 18th century, that would be the 1700s for those that get as confused as I do over that stupid characterization, by the defenders of the old regime from the 1770s onward, as revolutionaries on both sides of the Atlantic rebelled, that would be France and the United States for those that aren't, you know, up on this stuff, right? As revolutionaries on both sides of the Atlantic rebelled in the name of liberty, a flood of pamphlets, treatises, and newspaper articles appeared with titles such as Some Observations on Liberty, Civil Liberty Asserted, or On the Liberty of the Citizen. Their authors vehemently denied that the Atlantic revolutions would bring greater freedom, as, for instance, the Scottish philosopher Adam Ferguson, a staunch opponent of the American Revolution, explained, liberty consisted in the security of our rights. And from that perspective, the American colonists already were free. This is funny. Even though they lacked control over the way in which they were governed. How can you be free if you lack control over the way you're governed? This is, a, this is why this is, this is an interesting article. But this is how the left sees freedom. So this is, this is kind of why I pointed out. And again, I haven't uh, seen this one for a while. I have a bunch of articles all, all on my screen to take a look at. More security was ever enjoyed, before enjoyed by any people. This meant that the colonist liberty was best preserved by maintaining the status quo. Their attempts to govern themselves could only end in anarchy and mob rule. So, in other words, to the left, freedom really means security. Well, then you understand where all the welfare stuff comes from, where all the government programs come from, where all the, the guaranteed income comes to the left. You know, a government is supposed to make people's lives better uh, and get you their security. But if you believe in – but that's freedom. 
<laughs> freedom is not you know freedom is not security. Ben Franklin said it. So let's see what they say about uh, next paragraph. In the course of the 19th century, this view became widespread among European elites, who continued to vehemently oppose the advent of democracy. Okay, we're still a republic, folks. Benjamin Constant, of Europe's most celebrated political thinkers, thinkers rejected the example of the French revolutionaries, arguing that they had confused liberty with participation in collective power. Instead, freedom lovers should look to the British Constitution, where hierarchies were firmly entrenched. Here, Constant claimed freedom understood as peaceful enjoyment and private independence was perfectly secure, even though less than 5% of British adults could vote. The Hungarian politician Josef Itvos, hope I pronounced that right, among many others, agreed, writing, agreed, right, stop moving my screen, the, 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 uh, this is, this is a, the ads are popping up, writing in the wake of the brutally suppressed revolutions that rose against several European monarchies in 1848, he complained that the insurgents, <laughs> interesting choice of words, battling for manhood suffrage, that'd be men voting, had confused liberty with the principle of the people's supremacy. The people's supremacy is liberty, you idiots. Anyway, says, but such confusion could only lead to democratic despotism. True liberty, defined by Etfos as respect for, quote, well-earned rights, so much for birthrights, right, could best be achieved by limiting state power as much as possible, not by democratization. So, Pianchi, as I read this, I get, you're probably as confused as I am as to what the, the, these two confusing freedom. It's like government power is freedom. Uh, and security is freedom, but true liberty away from government power and property is not freedom because only the, uh, the rich get to engage in it. seems <laughs> what they're saying. Uh, so, so in other words, for conservatives, freedom really isn't freedom. It's, it's drastically limited freedom for only a few people. Then it says, in the U.S., conservatives were likewise eager to claim that they, and they alone, were the true defenders of freedom. I don't remember that, but I'll continue. In the late 1790s, some of the more extreme Federalists <laughs> tried to counter the democratic gains of the preceding decade in the name of liberty. Boy, they're really confused. In the view of the staunch Federalist Noah Webster, for example, it was a mistake to think that, quote, to obtain liberty and establish a free government, nothing was necessary but to get rid of kings, nobles, and priests. I don't think he said that. Anyway, to preserve true freedom, which Webster defined as the peaceful enjoyment of one's life and property. Hmm, I, that sounds like a good definition. Webster defined as the peaceful enjoyment of one's life and property, popular power instead needed to be curbed, preferably by reserving the Senate for the wealthy. In other words, the states, <laughs> right? Yet such views were slower to gain traction in the United States than in Europe. To Webster's dismay, overall, his contemporaries believed that freedom could best be preserved by extending democracy rather than by restricting popular control over government. So when they say popular control over government, that would be the Constitution, folks. <laughs> that would be the states controlling the government. So when they talk about preserving democracy, you know, that's like uh, that's where everybody gets to, to vote uh, away your rights. Everybody gets to. So democracy is collective power. A republic is individual rights. That's the difference. So there's nothing democratic about a democracy. It's kind of interesting, actually, that a democracy is, in fact, as I think about it, a contradiction. Because in order to, to have freedom the way they describe it, you have to have government power over the people so they don't have individual rights or property. And that to them is freedom. So they're really talking about the freedom of government. So their freedom is designed as the majority overruling the minority uh, and, and taking their stuff. <laughs> and and, and that their security is a powerful government. They got, they got, the minority they got, they got, what? Hello? Oh. Yankee? 
Oh, Pianki dropped. This has been an interesting day. I'm not sure what's going on. <laughs> All I know is I'm the only one left on the line. In fact, there's nobody even on live chat. Uh, Marco hasn't checked in. So whatever happened, Pianki had to leave. <laughs> Where was I? Like, I guess I don't get his opinion then. By the end of, okay, so that, but by the end of the 19th century, that would be the 1800s, conservative attempts to reclaim the concept of freedom catch on. The abolition of slavery, rapid industrialization, and mass migration from Europe expanded the agricultural and industrial working classes exponentially, as well as giving them greater political agency. This fueled increasing anxiety about popular government among American elites. When they say popular, they're talking democracy. It doesn't mean popular like everybody was in favor of it. Popular in terms of people, the people voting. Anyway, and then it says among American elites who now began to claim that, quote, mass democracy posed a major threat to liberty, notably the right to property. Well, actually it does. Because if democracy means the majority taking, you know, if the, the majority of people taking the, the, the smaller half of the, of the population's stuff, and you're calling that democracy? No, that's theft. So the whole point of, of working for yourself is you get your fruits of your labor. If you can't have the fruits of your labor, then you're, then you're in communism. So what they're really saying is, is that you need a government to take the stuff that people make so they don't have too many rights, they don't have too much property, and it's shared equally, and that's what they call freedom. It's really, this actually is an interesting article by, by how much it's wrong, not by how much it's right, which is kind of interesting. So it says, this field increasing anxiety about popular government among the elites who now began to claim that mass democracy posed a major threat to liberty, notably the right to property. I read that. Here we go. Francis Parkman, Zion, uh, of, the powerful bo- of a powerful Boston family, was just one of the growing number of statesmen who raised doubts about the wisdom of universal suffrage. In, in other words, everybody votes. As, quote, the masses of the nation want equality more than they want liberty. Ah, so now how do you define equality? Okay, so here we go. This is another one of these interesting words. So equality to some is that everybody has the same amount of stuff, whereas equality should be everybody has the same rights, the same individual rights. So I would say that, uh, so this article is very illustrative by not trying to be, is that Democrats are really collectivists, that they don't believe in freedom. They believe in government power to take property so that everybody is equal. Well, that's tyranny. That's not freedom. But you don't know that until you read articles written by leftists which is kind of interesting. Huh. Two more paragraphs, and then I'm done for the day. <laughs> I'm going to go home. This has been a crazy day. William Graham Sumner, an influential Yale professor, likewise spoke for many when he warned of the advent of a new democratic kind of despotism, a danger that could best be avoided by restricting the sphere of government as much as possible. Well, it sounds like the Constitution. Laissez-faire, or in blunt English, mind your own business, uh, Sumner concluded was the doctrine of liberty. I think these people are confusing freedom of liberty. I'll explain them both in a little bit. Anyway, last paragraph. Being alert to this history can help us understand why today people can use the same word, freedom, to mean two very different things. So here we go. He says, when conservative politicians like Rand Paul and advocacy, group, advocacy groups like Freedom Works or the Federalist Society talk about their love of liberty, they usually mean something very different from civil rights activists like John Lewis and from the revolutionaries, abolitionists, and feminists in whose footsteps Lewis walked. Instead, they are channeling 19th century conservatives like Francis Parkman and William Graham Sumner, who believe that freedom is about protecting property rights, if need be, by obstructing democracy. Hundreds, yes, it is. <laughs> Hundreds of years later, these two competing views of freedom remain largely unreconcilable. 
Well, I think they remain unreconcilable, and this is by Annalyn de Dijen, author of Freedom, An Unruly History. Uh, anyway, available from Harvard University Press. <laughs> of course it is. But if you think of if this is how they, they're, if this is how the left defines freedom, the freedom to use government to make everybody equal and take the stuff of people who earned it. That's what they call freedom. Democracy, ruled by the majority. Whatever the majority wants goes. That's their idea of freedom, using government power to control everybody else. So what is wrong with property? Property is a fundamental right, life, liberty, and property. Jefferson said the pursuit of happiness, but it really comes down to you have a right to your life, a right to your liberty, and a right to your property. If you don't have property accumulation, if you can't have property and you can't pass anything on to your, to your, your, your posterity, what's the point? <clears throat> it takes, you know, people enjoy property. You know, try driving a sports car. It's fun. Uh, living in a house is your property. But your property is also yourself. There's your intellectual property. There's your mind, your body. You know, if you really want to extend the, the category of property, property really extends to, to your whole self in terms of your life and liberty. The difference between liberty and freedom is that freedom is individual. So what you do as an individual is freedom. What society can do as individuals is liberty. So in other words, if, if you can, you know, whatever you can do is, is, yeah, I guess it's probably the best way. You really can't explain it further. Freedom is what you can do. You are free to do this, this, and this, but don't break the law because that would be, uh, you know, that's, you don't have the freedom to do that. Um, you can change laws and things, but that's another argument. Liberty is what everybody can do. Liberty, the Bill of Rights talks about liberty. It does not talk about freedom. Even though it says freedom, it really is everybody has a right to free speech, religion, guns, due process, all that kind of good stuff. That's liberty. That's the difference. Uh, and so what, so what the leftists are saying is that democracy overrides liberty. You know, when they say that uh, Rand Paul and people love their liberty, it usually means something different than civil rights advocates. Well, it shouldn't. Unless what they're saying is civil rights advocates who are advocating freedom really mean the freedom to use government to take other people's stuff. Well, that's not what they meant at all. You look at Martin Luther King Jr. Sorry, I forgot the last part. When he talked about freedom, he talked about the American dream. He talked about property. So, so if you want to talk about civil rights leaders, you know, Martin Luther King, who talked about the American dream, who talked about individual liberty, you know, the same, everybody has the same rights to stuff, you know, and to be able to but not have the government take it away. Then, then actually Martin Luther King was much more in line with the founders and, and conservatives than he was with the left that wants to use democracy and the power of government to take stuff away from people, take away their property. So what is civil right? Is it a civil right, you know, to be able to impose government on other people? Well, that's contradiction because that's exactly what happened when the government imposed segregation on those who were fighting for civil rights. It's like they just wanted to use the government in reverse. It's really interesting. Anyway, um, that's enough of that. <laughs> but I think the confusion is the fact that these people, this article, in trying to define the difference between freedom, between liber liberals and conservatives, uh, actually confuse it even more because the definitions are wrong. <laughs> you know, try to make the leftist ones look favorable and the uh, the conservatives look bad. Anyway, so much for that. I'm going to go over my, all my articles, get rid of a bunch of them. <laughs> this, is, this has been uh, a strange day, uh, and that's okay. So a lot of evaluating. A lot of stuff's going to happen in Action Radio. Um, and who knows? Who knows where we're going to go? So you don't want to play something else here? I'm gonna, I still have my founding moments things that I've been playing and having some fun with. Yeah, got too many interviews. Got that here. Church and State. Did I play Church and State? I don't think I played that one. 
It's about six minutes long. That'll take us to the rest of the show. So I'll play this for you now. Separation of church and state, what it really means. And then back tomorrow with uh, continuing my reevaluation and restructuring of the show and uh, deciding where to go next with our activism. Back to, yeah, anyway, so um, I'll play this and I'll play our closing theme for the day, our classical music theme. But the websites, once again, blogtalkradio.com slash citizen action. Uh, our legislative website, writeyourlaws.com, W-R-I-T-E-Y-O-U-R-L-A-W-S. Uh, my substack with all the information about what we do here, gregpenglis.substack.com. And our, our contribution site, givesendgo.com slash action radio. I'll play one of my old uh, Santa Rosa volunteers, um, Federalist Papers things, and then back again uh, tomorrow morning, 7 a.m. This is Greg Penglis for Action Radio with Founding Moments, insights into our founding documents, sponsored by Santa Rosa Volunteers here in Santa Rosa County, Florida. Santa Rosa Volunteers is available at their website, srv1776.com. That's srv1776.com. There is no separation of church and state in the Constitution. Therefore, the Supreme Court can't imagine that it really is there, or should be there, so they can't create the rule out of thin air and then enforce it as if it actually did exist. The biggest problem with the controversy between Thomas Jefferson, then president, and the Danbury, Connecticut Baptists, a religious minority, is that everyone focuses on the answer by Thomas Jefferson saying there is a wall of separation between church and state, but they never consider the request made by the Danbury Baptist that Jefferson sought to answer, and therefore where the wall of separation actually is. If you only have the answer, then you can make the question anything you want, including making the question fit the answer to advance an agenda, or denying that there even is a question. The question now is whether the government is free from any of the moral constraints or persuasiveness of religion such that religion and government are walled off in isolation from each other so that government can contemplate and implement any power for themselves without any organized religious participation, debate, opinion, objection, or protest. That is a complete bastardization of the exchange between Jefferson and the Baptists and has been used to advance a bogus set of laws and court opinions. The background for this controversy comes from the article mentioned below, which says, The First Amendment was meant as a limit on the National Congress only. Madison wanted limits on the states too, but they were rejected. State limitations on religious liberty and establishment persisted after the First Amendment was adopted. Religious tests for office remained in place in most states, and Connecticut, 1818, and Massachusetts, in 1833, did not disestablish their official state churches until decades later. The Supreme Court reinforced the idea that the Bill of Rights did not apply to the states, but rather only to the national government in Barron v. Baltimore in 1833. Back to me. Where this becomes especially critical is when the states, not the state, as in government in general, but the individual states, established their own religion and churches because they were not subject yet to the First Amendment. It is in that context that Jefferson is responding to the Danbury Baptists. 
the key part of the Danbury Baptist letter to Jefferson is this clause. What religious privileges we enjoy as a minor part of the state, we enjoy as favors granted and not as inalienable rights. And these favors we receive at the expense of such degrading acknowledgments as are inconsistent with the rights of free men. The Danbury Baptists, being a religious minority in a larger group of Congregationalists, which was the state religion of Connecticut, were being discriminated against for not being part of the state religion. And because the First Amendment only referred to Congress making no law regarding the establishment of a government religion, but left the states free to do so, we had religious freedom at the federal level, but privilege and discrimination at the state level. That is why the Danbury Baptists wrote Jefferson. Now Jefferson resp Jefferson's response makes sense. He says to the Baptists, Believing with you that religion is a matter which lies solely between man and his God, that he owes account to none other for his faith or his worship, that the legitimate powers of government reach actions only and not opinions, I contemplate with sovereign reverence that act of the whole American people which declared that their legislature should make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof, thus building a wall of separation between church and state. Put in modern English, the individual relationship between man and God is direct, and the wall of separation is so that the government never crosses that wall between individuals, their churches, and God with state religions, state churches, religious laws and tests, religious qualifications for office, etc., etc. However, there is nothing in law or the Constitution preventing churches, religions, and religious individuals like pastors, priests, ministers, etc., and just regular folks too, from exercising moral persuasion, evaluation, and criticism over government because the free exercise of religion also includes the redress of government for grievances. The wall of separation of which Jefferson spoke only works one way. To understand Jefferson and the Baptists, it's not the wall of separation between church and state, it's the wall of separation between the free exercise of religion and any state-established religion. That's it. Everything else is agenda-driven narrative. The source for the Federalist Papers is federalistpapers.org. The Anti-Federalist Papers are from selfeducatedamerican.com. The Articles of Confederation are from usconstitution.net. This episode also used Thomas Jefferson's misunderstood letter to the Danbury Baptist from the Washington, Jefferson, and Madison Institute website. This is Greg Penglis for Action Radio with Founding Moments, sponsored by Santa Rosa Volunteers. Their website is srv1776.com. That's srv1776.com. Please share this report to anyone who needs it.
Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.